Welcome to this special Rivalry Week edition of Bleeding Green, Beers, Burgers, and Bearcat Football. I'm your host, Matt Daniel. So excited to bring this one to you. This one was a lot of fun. It's been a lot of work, as you can see when you went to listen to the podcast. Boy, it's it's a long one. That's for sure. Got the most guests that I've ever had on one particular episode. And if you love Northwest Missouri Western, um, you're going to love this podcast. I think this is really going to be for you. So, of course, we're going to talk about Northwest 38 nothing victory, comprehensive victory at home for the home opener, which wasn't supposed to be, but family weekend uh, this past weekend against UCO. Of course, we'll preview the Northwest Missouri Western game this week as well, but I want to talk about the history of this rivalry. And to me, it doesn't get any bigger or embody the rivalry as much as Jerry Partridge Mo West versus Mel Churchman's Northwest. And I have both of those coaches on the podcast this week. I'm so excited about that. Former uh, Missouri Western voice, longtime voice of the Griffins, Bob Orff, who worked at KFEQ for a long, long time now retired. He's joining me, former Missouri Western wide receiver. He was a member of the All-Decade team and pretty much every leaderboard for catches everything. Andrew Mead is joining me as well. My buddy Chris Ward, we're going to talk some Bearcats. Of course, voice of the Bearcats, John Coffey, he'll be on. New voice of the Griffins, Tommy Rezach will be joining me as well. Northwest defensive lineman Zach Howard will be the player guest for this week. Of course, we'll have the pick six at the end of that interview. MIAA columnist from D2Football.com, Devin Albertson. He's back, of course, again this week. And my son, Eli, whose birthday, by the way, will be next week. He's, you know, yeah, he's he's full of it and he's ready to talk and have his predictions for the week. And we'll wrap things up with Bearcat trivia. But first, I want to talk history of this rivalry before we kind of get current. And I'm a pitch player. Lead strong, baby. And so let's start things off with the man himself, Coach Mel Churchma. He's in, you know, if I listed all the Hall of Fames, the, the show would be even longer than it already is. And, of course, the field's named after him. And just a legend, the legend himself, it's Coach Mel Churchma. Coach T, thanks so much for taking time out of your schedule and joining me here on Bleeding Green. Well, thanks for having me. This will be a lot of fun. I, uh, I still love to talk about football, so uh, this will be good. Well, and, and, you know, no matter what way we talk, you know, we've got lots of great memories and good, happy things well, to talk do. about. Well, we do. And uh, uh, if we're talking about Missouri Western and Pitt State, we've got some, a uh, lot of uh, pretty good games to talk about, too, because we had lots of games with them that were uh, very good games. So uh, it'll be good. Absolutely. Well, let's since we got Missouri Western list this week, let's let's talk to them. Kind of going back to the beginning of your, you know, of your tenure at Northwest, was was that really a rivalry that many people talked about? I mean, the proximity of the schools was was it that big of a deal? Well, um in 94, uh we played them I think the third game of the year. Uh we had uh, two non-conference games. We played uh Mankato and uh, Texas A&M Commerce and then we played uh Missouri Western at home, and, uh, you know, we had gotten blown out of both of those non-conference games, and we actually played, you know, halfway decent against Missouri Western, played good on defense. We just couldn't generate any offense, and uh, we got beat, uh, I think it was 20 to nothing. Uh, the next year, um, in 95, you know, we, we actually won six games in 95, and and uh, went there. Uh, that was when I think our kids finally, our, you know, our team in 95 started to feel that, hey, this is a rivalry with Missouri Western. And uh, we went there. They were a good team, and we led most of the game, and they got us uh, late in the game. Uh, they got us on a screen pass, and I think we lost by four. Uh, but then uh, 
you know, after that, 96, we ended up, I think we played him at homecoming. And uh, Jesse, Jesse Haynes had a great game in that game, except he fumbled about three or four times. But other than that, he, he rushed for about 200 yards. I mean, he was a, you know, he was a player of the game and all that. And uh, that was the first, uh, that was our first win against him. Well, and the, you know, the thing I think about when I think, uh, especially, you know, in my time, in my time at Northwest, which was, which started in 02, and even before that, you know, the, the Northwest Mo West rivalry was as much, you know, you and Jerry Partridge, you know, as, as much as it was, you know, Bearcats and Griffins. Well, yeah, I, you know, I, I had, a, I had a lot of respect for Jerry. Uh, you know, Jerry was, was an alum at, uh, from Missouri Western, he had a passion for Western. Um, he wasn't real, real, real well liked by our fans, and so that made it that made it a little better. But uh, anyway, we uh, Jerry and I were were good friends, and uh, you know we always battled. And I, I I knew that we were always every game, every time we played them, they were going to give us a good good battle, and they did. Well, and so I want to talk about kind of some of the games that, that I remember, and and okay. uh, and and so just kind of going back, one in particular in in two thousand five, and there's been some great games. Of course, I want to talk twenty ten and and two thousand eight, some other games, but it, but two thousand five was one I'll always remember is is like the Dave Tollefson game. I think he had four sacks, blocked a punt, and we won one by ten. I think it was in in St. Joe even, but that's just a game that I always remember. That uh, Dave, man, I mean, the whole team played well, but man, he had himself a heck of a day that day. Yeah, uh, yeah, he did, and uh, that was, uh, you know, that was a that was a tough year for us, 2005, because uh, we had lost uh, early to Omaha, and then then right after we beat Western, uh, we had some injuries, and we lost to Washburn, and then we lost to Pitt State at Arrowhead. Uh, in a big game, but, uh, then we were able to come back and, and beat those people in the playoffs. But yeah, that was, uh, uh, 2005 was, a you know, that was a big win for us, especially at Western. Well, then 06, Tommy Freeford, I think hit a late field goal, like four minutes left or something like that. That was another close game. And that's one of those things that just seems like, you know, over the years, you know, it, there were so many, close games seems like every year kind of regardless of where western was and and in the early 2000s you know when when you know like 003 or something when when northwest wasn't you know at the top there that there was always going to be a close game every time well it was and, and and like you mentioned in 06 uh, that was a close game uh, they were uh, they were at our place i think uh, they were a ranked team that time they were very good um, uh, trying to think of the quarterback's name, but anyway, uh, uh, they, uh, they gave us a, a real battle and, uh, you know, like you said, we were able to pull it out with a field goal at the end. Uh, you know, that was, uh, that, that, you know, each of those years, it seemed like the Missouri Western game was going to be, uh, you know, a, a real close ball game. And, uh, it, it was until I think, uh, uh, 2007, I think we got them pretty good. But uh, prior to that, uh, there was a number of years in a row there where it was always a close game, regardless of how good we were or how good they were. Yeah, and it seemed like they. It seems like with Coach Partridge, they were always going to have a be a hard nosed team and have a good defense. Well, they were, and uh, he was uh, Coach Partridge. Like I said, he had a real passion for for you know for his home school, and so he was uh, you know he. 
they were always ready to play against us. There was never going to, I can't ever remember them being flat <laughs> when they played us. And so, uh, uh, you know, you just knew you were going to have to be ready. And uh, uh, as time went on, our kids figured that out too, that, hey, it, you could, you didn't have to look at the records. Uh, uh, you know, you, all you had to do is know we were playing Western and it was going to be a good game. And, uh, you know, you can go back, I think it was my last year in 10, uh, I, we beat them real bad early in the year. I think we beat them 42 to nothing. And then they came back. We played them in the, excuse me, in the playoffs uh, at our place. And uh, we struggled. We were behind at halftime. And we might have been behind by uh, 17 to 7 or 24 to 7, something like that. And we ended up, I think we ended up winning by, by four points. But, uh, uh, that was one, you know, uh, I remember that game. I remember uh, we were down big at halftime, and then they held us uh, right away in the, uh, our first possession. We, they held us at about midfield. And, uh, uh, Josh Baker, we ran Josh Baker on a fake punt. He went about 50 yards for a touchdown, and that kind of turned the tide in that game. And, uh, uh, you know, and then we pretty much dominated after that. But, again, really close ball game. Yeah, well, that's great. When I'm so glad that you brought that game up. That is one of my favorite all-time Bearcat games. And yeah, the yeah it was seventeen nothing. I think at halftime, and and that was what got us on the board. I, I'll never forget that Josh Baker run because he hurdled a, hurdled the Griffin on his way to the end zone, and uh, he was such a fun player to watch in that that 2010 season. And that yeah, that just kind of spearheaded it, and you could just feel the momentum in in the stadium. Because I don't know that we were fan wise, right? That we were necessarily expecting that. Because the I remember the forty two to nothing. I think we were both top ten teams earlier in the season, and I think that might be the all time record for attendance at Bearcat Stadium. I'm not a hundred percent on that. It was right around eleven thousand or something. But uh, th- then you know to come back and they really you know turned it around in that that playoff game and and uh, yeah, but just us coming back and winning that was it was so awesome to be there and, and be a part of that. Yeah, that was, uh, like you said, it was 17 nothing at halftime. And I remember, you know, I, that was probably one of my most, uh, oh, my most memorable halftime times, but one that I'm probably not real proud of because I, uh, I got on our guys pretty good about, about that at halftime. Matter of fact, we kept the whole team together for a little while instead of breaking up offense and defense. And I kind of got to clear, clear my air out and, uh, <laughs> Uh, I don't know if that did any good or not, but uh, Josh Baker uh, figured out how to how to score on that fake punt, and uh, that that really kind of turned the tide in that ball game. And uh, you know, it was funny because that we were on our hash, and uh, we had run. Josh had scored at least once. He that year he scored the first or second game of the year uh, on a fake punt at Nebraska Omaha, and I think we had run it one other time. So and Jerry, one thing about Coach Partridge, he his special teams were always really good. Uh, you could count on him to run a fake against you, to block a punt or try to block a punt. He always had good return men. So, uh, you know, so, and we were good on special teams. So that was always a challenge too. And, uh, uh I was surprised that we were able to, uh, you know, be that successful on that fake punt, especially at that time, because it was probably pretty obvious that we needed to do that at that point. Yeah, absolutely. That's just that's that's a maybe an example of a big time player making a making a big time play at the, at the moment, and a, part, a great yeah. call too, of course. Yeah, well, it was uh, like I said, we had to have that at that point. And you know, to their credit, if I remember right, they came back and scored. We were it was seventeen to seven, 
and I think they made it 24 to seven. Uh, and then we, then we scored, uh, three straight touchdowns, uh, you know, to get, get it up to 28, 24 and that's the way it ended. So. We, and you had it kind of in, in his prime drew new heart. We always knew he was going to come to play oh, uh, man. against yeah. Northwest. He, uh, that kid, he was, he was really good. He, uh, he always made plays against us. Uh, but they had a lot of guys, you know, we recruited some of the same guys, not a lot, but some of the same guys. And so some of those guys that we recruited that end up going there, that was a huge game for them. But I just think more than anything else, it was, you know, it was just coach Partridge and his passion and his, uh, you know, he was a griffin through and through and, uh, boy, he really, he always had them ready to play on, on the Saturday that they played Northwest. I'll guarantee you that. Well, and it always seemed to us fans, you know, as a fan myself, I mean, that was, that's always a big game. You know, that's always, it's, it's a different kind of rivalry as opposed to maybe a pit state or even a central, you know, where it's, it's, uh, you know, I don't know, big brother, little brother, I think is, is kind of the thing. And, and, and it maybe seems like, um, you know, Western always, you know, they were kind of the little brother. You know, I mean, they had a lot of, you know, Coach Partridge, of course, had a lot of success. But then up up north, you know, up the road, you, you and the Bearcats are winning national titles and, and other things. And so they're always kind of in the shadow of that a little bit, I guess. But it just always seemed like there was a, a chip on their shoulder, especially when, when it came time to play Northwest. There's no doubt about that. I think I think that's really <laughs> that's a great analogy. And I and I and I think honestly, I don't think our fans ever expected them to play us as good as, as they did. I think our fans always overestimated us and underestimated Western. And, and fortunately, uh, you know, after the first few years, our players didn't. Our players knew it was going to be a tough game. And there were still times when, you know, like that, that playoff game, uh, you beat a team 42 to nothing in a regular season. Uh, and you have then you have them coming to your place in the playoffs. You don't think much about it. You know, I mean, you know, that should be an easy win. And uh, uh, we... Uh, we almost ended our season there that day. So uh, uh, I, I think that that mentality really, uh, you know, Coach Partridge really used that to their advantage. Well, and then, you know, I mentioned Drew Newhart. If you go back to 2008, was a 42-35 game. I remember that one, kind of a back-and-forth game. I think Crystal Fleur had an interception in the end zone, in that south end zone, um, to kind of clinch the game when, when Western was going down there to tie it. So that was another kind of close back-and-forth battle that I, that had a big crowd, too. It seems like there was always and, – and whether we played in, in Maryville or, of course, in, in St. Joe, we knew the Bearcat fans were going to show up in St. Joe, but it was always a, always a big crowd and a, just a fun atmosphere, too. Yeah, it was. And, uh, you know, that game, again, they, like you said, they were driving at the end of the ball game, and we had to get the interception. Um, and I, if I remember right, I don't remember all the games, but if I remember right in that game, we were behind, uh, you know, er, the early part of that game as well and, uh, had to come back from, from being behind. So, uh, uh, yeah, they, uh, they always, they always seemed to, if they needed a big play, it seemed like they were always able to make a big play, but then, uh, you know, in, in quite a few of those games, when it came down to the end, we were able to make a big play and, uh, somehow pull out the win. Yeah, and, and talk about fans. You know, we we always used to joke whenever they built the the away side that they have now, the nicer away side at, at Spratt Stadium at Western that they that they kind of did it for us <laughs> us Bearcat fans <laughs> because there were there were many years uh, that we would outnumber them uh, when we play in St. Joe. Well, we did. We always had you know our fans. Uh, our our fans are great, and they travel. 
wherever we play. But, uh, you know, obviously 40 miles down the road and uh, it being the rivalry that it is, uh, you know, I, I think I think what made our fan, our road fan uh, numbers so good there is so many of our students came to that game. Uh, you know, if we got further away, if we played at Pitt State or, uh, you know, played at, even at Washburn, not as many of the students came, but when, when we were going to Western, we had a lot of students show up for that game as well. And so uh, uh, that really made it a great atmosphere. No, absolutely. And and what, I don't know, when when you think back to these games and, and you know, these rivalries, is there, any, is there any other game that we didn't mention or other things that just kind of, you know, stand out to you about Missouri Western against Northwest? Well, I... I I distinctly remember losing a couple of them that uh, later on, I think we lost to them. Uh, we lost to them in overtime in 01. We, we weren't, uh, we weren't a great team in 01. I think we were seven and four, um, but we lost to them at their place in overtime. And that was a game where I, again, I think we were behind and we, we, we fought to come back. Um, and so uh, that, I remember that. And then, and then I really remember 03, uh, I think it was 03 here when we lost to them, uh, and and that might have been an overtime game. Mm -hmm. it, it was, was. yes, and yes. Uh, that was that was oh that was really hard to swallow because that that kind of uh, you know that was a uh, uh, game that we I felt like we should have won, and, and we just uh, we let it get away from us and uh, made some mistakes, and uh, so that was uh, that was a that was a real real tough one to swallow those. I, you know, I think I probably remember those. I, I, you know, some great things I remember. I can't remember what year it was, uh, but I remember uh, it, it must've been about in that time, um, probably 04, uh, probably 04, 05. It was at Western, might've been 05 at Western. Um, they were, uh, uh, they were coming back on us and uh, the onside kick, and uh, Caleb, Caleb Olber uh, was in the front row, and it took a perfect bounce to him, and he ran, he ran it. Instead of recovering the onside kick, he ran it back for a touchdown about, you know, about 60 yards. Nobody touched him. Uh, I, I'll never forget that. I mean, that was, uh, that was great. I remember Wes Simmons uh, early on. I think that might have been uh, 99 or 2000. Uh, Wes Simmons getting an interception at, at Western. And, and running it back for a touchdown, and Wes had uh, Wes had almost gone to Western. Uh, they had recruited him really hard, and so uh, that was a big big deal for him. Uh, I remember those. Uh, I remember those games. Uh, those two <laughs> in particular, those two plays. So, uh, but uh, you know, uh, the the 2010 the, the playoff game. I think uh, <clears throat> I don't. Uh, you know, like I said, I I wasn't. When it was all said and done, I wasn't real proud of myself at halftime when I, uh, because I really got on our guys at halftime. But, uh, um, you know, we were able to come out with a win. Uh, I won't forget that game. I'll guarantee you that. Perfect. Well, well, Coach, I appreciate you coming on with me and, and talking some rivalry here on Rivalry Week. And I and, uh, hope to have you on uh, next week. Maybe we'll talk uh, Pitt State. Sounds good. Thanks for having me.
That's the legend himself, Coach Mel Churchman. Appreciate his time coming on the podcast here. He'll be back next week. We'll be talking about that rivalry with Pitt State. So that'll be a fun one, reliving some of those uh, those fun memories. Um, now, though, we're going to go to the other side of this rivalry. You know, I talk when, when I think Northwest Mo West, I think Jerry Partridge versus Mel Churchman, and they have such a great mutual respect for one another. And Coach Partridge now in Arizona, he's the defensive coordinator for Northern Arizona University and so proud to welcome him on the podcast. Coach Partridge, thanks so much for coming on and joining me. No problem. So let's talk a little bit. Of course, you know, you're 20 years at at Western. And uh, uh, by the way, I do have to congratulate you and you guys, um, Northern Arizona, beating the University of Arizona in Tucson. That's a pretty big moment for you guys. So we turned around and get get right back and lost to a Northern Colorado team that I don't think could finish the top half of the MIAA. So... So it's kind of been up and down deal, but that was an unbelievable win, no question. I thank you for that, but we just we played absolutely uh, bad <laughs> Saturday in Greeley, Colorado. So yeah, well, I remember or us, you know, back in Northern Colorado's D two days. I remember right. uh, some losses we had to them. <laughs> so. They were good. Yeah, they were good, and they're not. They're struggling now, but we we just didn't um, execute where we needed to execute. We finished, you know, some drives on offense and. Eventually, we played pretty good the last couple of weeks. Um, obviously, in Arizona, we played tremendous. And then last week, we played pretty well, too. Just, I know we're still trying to find our way with the freshman quarterback. So that's the way it goes. Right. Sure. Well, you talk about defense. I mean, that's, that's you know, when I think of one, when I think of the the Northwest Missouri Western rivalry in, in my lifetime, you know, in the last 25 years, I think of you and, and Coach Churchma. You know, you guys are right. kind of the faces of it for me. Right. And the thing about Western, I always knew when we played Western, they were going to have a tough, hard nosed defense when, when you were the coach. Right. That's for sure. Well, I appreciate that. Yep. We, we pride ourselves in just effort and grit, kind of. I think we we're kind of a gritty, competitive bunch that, uh, you know, physicality was something we did, and uh, we also had some speed and size, and we just did some, some really good things. But obviously, you know, Northwest was one of those teams that just dang near impossible to beat. You had to be on your very best, and we had some good clubs that didn't beat them, you know, and some good players that never got to beat them. So, um, you know, it, it was obviously a tremendous rivalry. And, you know, the guy you mentioned there, Mel Church, I have an unbelievable respect for. We stay in touch, me and him. and you know, I think about it. I, as a matter of fact, I made the statement to uh, our head coach, Chris Ball, who's Missouri Western Griffin. Um, we were talking about, I can't remember what it was, game day, though, and I noticed that it was, uh, was it had, was it was something, sat last Saturday, something to do with Scott Bostwick or not? Yeah, family day. Yes, sir. Yeah. And so I made a statement. I said, I, I, always, I always remember pregame, a lot of times you go out and you talk to other coaches, and some coaches are very standoffish and uptight. And, not Scott, man. He would come up to you and, and he'd find you. He'd come down the other end to make sure you talked to him. And uh, I'd always say, man, you guys are going to kill us today. He goes, no, you know how this is going to go. It's going to go to the wire, you know. And so he was always that way. One of the one of the, the best guys to compete against as far as likability that I've ever been around. And, and certainly Mel was in that same category, too. And, you know, again, I cherish and, and, and uh, value the friendship greatly. Well, and talk about the rivalry from from the time you took over in '97 to kind of what it was it you know was it that important? I mean, was it always a game that Western circled, or did it kind of grow into that? Well, I think if anybody knows me and knows our staff that we had back then, every game was important. I don't know that we ever put one over the other. Obviously, living where I lived, um, you know, I think 
the last four years, the first time I live, I've driven around, I haven't seen the, the Bearcat paws. I drive around my own town, you know, and, and that was always something as you drove around, you always had that. And shoot, there was many, as many stickers that were Bearcat stickers as were, the, you know, the Griffin emblems. So you know, that was always right there for me to see and hear. And I can remember people telling me, hey, you need to beat them. I said, well, what, who does beat them? And, uh, and honestly, we, I think we probably beat them more than anybody else beat them. You know, and um, and so uh, that that's what kind of made it more important. It was just you know families were divided, and you know my kids and their schools would hear about it all the time, and um, and so yeah, it, it made it pretty special. And uh, you know, we, there was other people we got amped up for too. I mean, just like they did too. Pittsburgh State was important to us. Central Missouri was important to us. But when you played those guys, the crowds were different. You know, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you know, we would always, you know, bring lots of folks down to St. Joe, and right. and I always think to the, I don't like to remember this, but back in 2012, which was, you know, right. statistically win-wise, your greatest season, Missouri Western's greatest right. season, you know, right. when you guys came up to Maryville and, and were down at halftime, similar to that 2010 game where we were down right. at halftime and came back, you know, right. you guys come back, beat us 21-20, the, the fans stormed the field, and, and you guys right, win yeah. the win the MIAA championship outright. I don't love those <laughs> memories, but I mean, you know, that, that season that right. you guys had, that was, that was, you know, definitely a, a pretty special season. Right. No question. And I think there's a stretch right in there where, I don't know, maybe three of the four games or four games where the other team would be up two scores. The other team would come back. Um, when we beat them in 11 and 12, both times we were down double digits and rallied to win. And then the playoffs in 10 is what you spoke of. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> we're up, I think, maybe 17 nothing or something. Yes. Yep. A halftime. And they came back and beat us. And then the, in 11, we beat them week 10. We turned around and played them first week and we we're up like 16 to nothing. Um, and, and lost that one, you know, so there was like four different games in that, that period in there. Um, you know, Mel's last year, then when Adam first took over where the one team would be up two scores, the other team would come rally back. And those are probably the tightest years of competitiveness. There were some other years there where we were pretty competitive with them. Uh, we never, any, any of our wins were always, you know, two of them were overtime wins and two of them were just, you know, right down to the wire ball games that were, you know, we had to make great plays to win it. And, um, you know, they, they dumped us three or four times, but most of those games were, were down to the to the very last five minutes, you know, and, and that's what made it so special. Well, in that that 01, I think that was an overtime game in 01. Yes. And I'm from yeah. Union Star, and so so were Matt and Chad Smith right. that played for Western. And so Good we players. were – that yeah. those were before – that was before I went to Northwest. So we were always right. pulling for Western. I think maybe right. Matt, who was a running back, scored a touchdown maybe in that game. And, Probably. And uh, – Little dude could play, man. And, and so, remember so that, and then oh three, the overtime. I remember right. uh, I was talking to to Bobo about that at the, at the, when I was working at at Eagle there in St. Joe after that game. Um, you know when Bobo just goes nuts, which was kind of his thing. You know, and the and the was it Cooper sc- scrambled and scored and yeah, in overtime for the scored right for the for the walk off touchdown. Des- yep, Desmond Polk intercepted it. Uh, I think it was Johnny Max uh, passing the end zone, John McMiniman into the end zone there to intercept it to end that one. So no one. So um, they they kind of forget their dramatic wins because they got so many of them. But the 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 wins we had against them were certainly cherished. And, um, you know we had you know we did well against Pittsburgh too, and and what about you know seven or eight of those, and certainly had a great run against Central too. But Northwest was so difficult. 
Yeah, well, you talk about Pitt. It wasn't something I was going to bring up, but it just reminded me. It seemed like you guys had where nobody ever won in the jungle, and you had several times where you guys went down to Pitt and, uh, right. and beat them down there, including that we, that twenty twelve yeah, season. Yeah, we had a three in a row run at one point, and then uh, we should have won four in a row. We had a big lead and lost that one too. So, but we had the one down. The two thousand twelve team went down there, and we weren't really sure. We just lost to Missouri Southern. We weren't really weren't sure how good we were going. You know, at that point, we had some doubts. And, unbelievable performance just went out there and, and you know the front of the biggest crowd ever and, and we're up you know 1.63 to 7 i started thinking we're gonna get 70 on these guys and the one is 63 to 14 so um you know those are great memories no question well, and probably even more special, I would assume, you know, your your son, Travis, who's now a, a coach at KU, um, right. you know, was was the quarterback on that team. How, how you know, special was that as part of that? Well, I mean, you know, obviously, um, you know, people love their sons, you know, and, and, and I'm sure there's there was a time period for like, man, you know, you know, the coach, their son, Little League stuff. But I knew, you know, I always tell people, I said, I love Missouri Western football program. Too much. I love my son too much not to bring him into that, knowing he wasn't going to get it done. He certainly did, and um, you know, uh, you know that the special day you talked about wasn't it wasn't a great day in, in Bearcat land, but um, to have all the crap that kid put up with, and, and especially with kids that were Bearcat fans, and um, and for him to come through like he did in 2012 in the fourth quarter, those last two drives, and again, it was not just him. We had we had some ballers. I mean, Michael Hill was maybe the greatest Griffin ever and um, the receiving core that year, just tremendous competitors that were great blockers, and great receivers. And we just, you know, again, just little competitors. So that you have Travis, um, you know, was the, one of the best Griffins ever. And he's one of those top guys. Well, and, and you talk about too, I said, one of the things that I think about when I think about your Mo West teams was defense, but was also local talent because, that, right. you know, was that something you really focused on is, is to get those guys that maybe a, a team like a Northwest overlooked? Well, we were, we were a, um, you know, the, 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 the university's mission was as a regional university. And I know that was Dr. Murphy's ideal, Dr. Scanlon's idea, uh, Dr. Barbedian, you know, they all felt that way. And, um, and we, drew a circle and we're going to get our best kids. I don't know how many at one point we had within an hour's drive, hour and a half drive of St. Joe, over 50% of our kids. And so to me, it meant a lot. And we always really, um, our crowd, the draw on the road was better than most people because we had so many local kids that people were able to go, they go to games. You know, some of the kids were close by and their parents were close by and families and friends and those kind of things. And, you know, when we hired, we signed Drew Newhart, you know, the town of Cameron, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> he came to every game, you know, and Drew's a legendary player as well, you know, and so um, that was certainly a, a, a thing we did. And, and Northwest was that way too. Northwest, you know, they didn't go far out. I mean, it was Omaha and Iowa and the same area we were in, Northwest Missouri, Kansas City, St. Louis. And we had a lot of kids that knew who each other was, and and, um, and, it, and it made for a great competitive atmosphere. Yeah. Well, you talk about Drew Newhart, of course, Brad Beckwith, he was you know, one of the greatest uh, Missouri Western kickers ever. Everybody forgets about him because in comes, you know, this alien named Greg Zerline. (laughs) And you talk about those 2011 games and those two games were some, especially the playoff game, which I know was a loss for you guys, but he hit a 58, 57 and 52 yarder and the wind was blowing. I've never seen anybody 
kick anything like that. I mean, that guy, of course, you know, and he's, you know, still doing his thing. I'm sure he's made right. lots of money in his career, but yeah, he didn't know a thing until we got him. I mean, really, he couldn't even kick his way. I and mean, he could have played kickball in an elementary school playground until we got him. We taught him everything he knows. Right. So. <laughs> That's so, great. No, he's, uh, he was special. That was a fun time. I mean, that year we had him, he was nine of nine for 50 plus. And five of those were in those two Northwest games. And so uh, I could still remember a couple of those kicks in the playoff game. I said, what do you, what do you think? And he, go, and he was so modest. Go, ah. I go kick it, go kick it. And it was, it was a crosswind. It, people don't realize it was mm-hmm. not. So it was shifting. Usually at Spratt, it's not going, you know, as, as a field looks at north south, it's usually like northeastern, you know, like a crosswind diagonal. And that day it was switching back and forth which way was prominent, you know. And I'm pretty sure one or two of those were actually in the teeth a little bit, you know. And so he just phenomenal, phenomenal um, 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 talent when it comes to his leg. And yes, he's, and, and again, you know, you look back to the to the year that he kicks, uh, what it was a tying field goal in the NFC Championship game against mm-hmm. the Saints, right? And then he, then he kicks the game winner, and they were both bombs. And uh, real proud of what he's been able to do. Yeah, that's so cool. Well, let's talk about that 2010 game because there's a couple of things that I wanted to talk to you about. Is it's just kind of fun, you know, fun memories to relive. I remember at halftime of that game. Of course, you guys were up 17 nothing. There was there was kind of a little maybe misunderstanding between you and I don't know if it was our drum major who it was. I'm I'm almost positive the band didn't want to get off the field, so I'm pretty sure <laughs> I'm pretty sure no, we were I, probably I in the we wrong. Were, honestly, I think we were at fault. Uh, we had had. Um, Early in the year, we had talked about the third quarter for whatever reason. We were really slow coming out and gate in the third quarter. And we were talking, okay, what do we got to do? What do we do? And so probably three or four weeks prior to that, uh, we had said, uh, and I don't remember that year. We got That was one of the years we got thumped. I think we got to be like 41 to 42 to nothing mm-hmm. in Maryville earlier in that year. And we kind of got hot later on, started playing really well. And one of the things we did, we started not staying in the locker room very long at halftime. We get in real fast. Everybody used the restroom, do what they got to do. Coaches meet, be with the players, and we were we were always out. We try to get back out about five minutes earlier than we normally would. So we started doing that. Well, we we're playing so well. I thought, well, we don't need to stick it in long. I said, you know, and, the, and our strength coach, who was our decoy at the time, goes, you want me to go out there and get them loose? And um, I said, yeah, I just got to stay back over here in this end zone. I don't know what's been going on. Someone said the band's still going. I said, just stay back out of the way. I think we'll be fine. Well. He goes out there and the kids kind of start going too far. You know, it's they're getting loose around 25, and we're probably within 10 yards of the band with a plane, which is totally our fault, you know. And I see what's kind of happening. I look and I'm, I'm, I come actually go out there and I'm, I think I'm doing everything with Brett Easley or somebody, you know. And um, I look and I kind of see the band director kind of going up and, and yelling at our players and kind of put his hands on a couple of them, like trying to shove them out of the way and, and, and like, oh, well, I gotta get out of here, you know. And, and we're wrong. I'm trying to, I start moving people and he gets in my face, you know, and if you look at the, if you look at the film, I never take my hands out of my pockets and um, he's kind of poking me in the chest and I understand how he felt. I mean, that's his moment. And um, that was our screw up, but I don't know that I picked the fight with him and I can still remember people talking about on social media, how, you know, <laughs> he would whip me. And I don't, I don't think he wanted any of that. <laughs> yeah, probably not. <laughs> probably no. not. But, you yeah. know, that's the way it goes. And, and that was on us. I mean, that totally was on us. And, and I think it led into some a little bit of a, a, a little showdown between a couple of administrators, and it was just something that should have been avoided. So... Well, and it's one of those things, though, that I think that kind of makes this lot rivalry kind of legendary. Right. You know what I mean? It's just kind of one of those moments that we remember because... Right. 
I honestly don't know anybody that's still really mad about it. We just look back at it and, you know, could just kind of laugh. Right. And, oh my gosh, what a crazy time. Do you remember when that happened? Or, or even right. after, you know, even after the game, I remember, um, you know, that you were quoted saying something like, boy, I wish, I wish, I wish coach Churchman would retire. I wish Mel would retire. Yeah. And that would get, I even got, I even got a nasty email about that one from some mom. And, and I, Honestly, it was like, it was more like I throw my hands up. I can't beat you. You know, that was really what the statement was. And I still remember, um, and how it was taken in the, in the, in the media room there. They, they all laughed and knew what I meant, you know, but I, I just, I'm really kind of meant, Hey, I wish you just right off into the sunset and call this good. And then I said something like go out to pasture, well, go out to pastures, get a negative connotation. Like he's washed up. No, that guy was just a tremendous leader. You know, and I think there's so much to learn from him. There's times that I have leaned on him and, and talked to him. So there was never any um, ill will, disrespect, any of that in, in our hearts toward those guys. And, you know, I think I was also, you know, it's, I guess it meant, I think when I first got the job, I think, you know, I was Mr. Nice Guy. And then we started getting better and, and beat him a couple of times. And that's when I think, I, you know, the hatred of Bearcat fans toward me started happening. I think probably that was good, I guess. But, uh, you know, it's funny, like I can remember one time I had Travis at a Benton High School football game, and, and that was probably when he was like a sixth grader or seventh grader. I can't remember how old he was exactly. And typical of that age, he couldn't stay up in line with me, screw around. He saw some friend. I said, no, no, you stay back behind me in line. You don't get to be in line with me now. I go in and use the restroom, and I come out, and I, it's all kind of, it's, it's Maryville. It's Benton versus Maryville. And I go out of the, I go out of the, uh, the restroom, and then Travis goes in by himself. And then after I leave, I guess maybe they started talking about me. And he came out and said, my gosh, they hate you, Dad. You know, so uh, that part was pretty fun, you know. And, and um, you know, I knew when, when we showed up, um, you know, it was it was, it was was on. And then when they showed up, it was on. It was something that, you know, it's hard to bottle that kind of stuff. You know, I've coached, uh, you know, four or five years since then, and there's been nothing close to that, what that was. And, um you know, I can still remember so many times pregame, you know, Star Spangled Banner, places like, you know, Northwest or Pittsburgh or Central, you know, and those great crowds are there and that great atmosphere. And you knew it was going to be a great football game against great coaches. And, you know, you just really appreciate the fact that this is the profession that you were in. And, and, and that's what made it fun. Well, and you talk about, you know, kind of being, I think, you know, you look at your run from like 05 to, to 2012, culminating with that, with that outright right. MIAA championship, you know, the right. only one in school history was, you know, postseason every year, uh, four right. playoffs and four bowl games. I mean, what a great run, but, but, you know, since, did you feel like it, it was, I don't know, I, I do, I'll, I'll say it, I'll go out there and say it. I think maybe some of those accomplishments weren't. Uh, viewed as highly as probably they should have been because up the road you've got you know coach churchman you got the bearcats winning national no championships no there's no doubt i mean there's no doubt if you, if you, chip, you take us and chip our little island away and throw us four hours from maryville it's celebrated as a huge deal you know and then and no one no one in that league um had to deal with that other than what missouri southern had to deal with you know missouri southern in joplin it's the same deal the split face gorilla is all over that town too and but, uh, you know, since since I became the head coach of Missouri Western in 96 or 97, 97, um, you know, Pittsburgh wasn't quite as good as what Northwest was. And certainly we were better than what Missouri Southern was. And so, um, yeah, that's the, way, that's the way it is. And, you know, and, and, you know, I'll say it myself. Unfairly, I was fired, you know, five years ago. And, you know, one losing season in 12 years and, and, and being judged against that, you know, and. 
and I, I'm sure Willie's going to feel some of that a little bit here now. He didn't win this one Saturday because they haven't been able to beat him yet. You know, and so um, you know, Richard's doing a great job. Obviously, he's got it back, and they're playing really well. And you know, and I'll say this too. I mean, I, I don't think um, when you, you know, when, when that fall, when that, whatever that day happened back in November of '16, uh, some of the very first people that reached out to me, you know, Mel Churchma that day when he found out. Um, Charlie Floor, Joe Osborne, you know, those are the kind of guys that, Chad Bostick, those are the people that reached out to me. You know, so many of those guys reached out. And when we beat Arizona, shoot, when we beat Arizona two weeks ago, uh, I think it was midnight or later, Rich Wright texted me. So, um, you know, my friendship with those guys, I got to go up and watch a couple of after that spring. They let me come up and watch spring ball, you know, watch his practice. And I said, this is probably the very first time that uh, I walked into Maryville in this kind of setting where I wasn't making sure I wasn't nervous about making a sniper red dot on me somewhere, you know. But right. uh, I appreciate those guys a lot, and and, uh, and, and I, I think there's mutual respect both ways. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Well, uh, well, Coach Partridge, man, I, I sure appreciate you coming on and taking a little time out of your uh, out of your schedule and stuff and your coaching duties to come on with me and, and talk about this rivalry. It's been fun, and and wish you and the, and the Lumberjacks the best of luck the rest of the season. Appreciate it, buddy. Thanks. And a big thank you to Coach Jerry Partridge for coming on, the defensive coordinator now at Northern Arizona University. Just happened to catch him on a day off and and really appreciate him uh, him taking some time out of his schedule and joining me. You know, he he that man loves Missouri Western, unlike uh, maybe any co- anybody that will ever coach there. Um, just absolutely incredible. And, and all credit to him for talking about everything I wanted to ask him about and talk about. He spoke so freely. I mean, he's never been one to, uh, to hold back or anything. And I just have a ton of respect for him. I hated him on Saturdays, but uh, I got to know him a little bit at, uh, when I worked for Eagle and St. Joe KFEQ and the coaches shows and things. We always used to kind of rib each other a little bit. Um, that was back when I had the fro. <laughs> it was, it was a long time ago, but, uh, that was so much fun. I appreciate his time. And, uh, Let's take a quick break. We're going to come back. My buddy Chris Ward's going to come on, and we'll talk more about uh, Northwest Mo West. Happy to be joined here on this special Rivalry Week episode of Bleeding Green by uh, Sports and Program Director, 100.1 KKWK over in Cameron, Missouri. My good buddy, Chris Ward. Chris, man, thanks for uh, coming on. Mr. Daniel, thank you so much. It is my pleasure, as always, to uh, join you. I think the, uh, the the podcast is off to a fantastic start. I look forward to it every week, and uh, I'm glad to be back on, especially given the, uh, the maybe the best week of the year when it's Missouri Western Week. Yeah, it absolutely is. Well, and it's funny, so that very first episode that you and I did, you know, together is the most downloaded episode ever. I think it's up close to like 80 downloads or something like that, which maybe that's not a big deal to some people. To me, that's beyond what I ever thought, <laughs> you know, whatever happened. So so I appreciate that. And, and, you know, I told you at that time, even on that very first kind of pilot, I guess, if you will, episode, that you were coming back. And, well, here here you are. <laughs> I say, well, I, that just tells me that there are 79 other people out there that are gluttons for punishment that uh, are, uh, wanted to listen to me talk about this. <laughs> but, uh, I, man, I'm glad to do it. I'm, 
I love Bearcat football, as anybody that knows me knows, and uh, I think uh, this rivalry that we have with Missouri Western, it, it, like I said in that episode, and I, I've heard you quote it before, uh, this is the hatred rivalry as opposed to the respect rivalry like a Pitt State or, or some of those other uh, Grand Valley State maybe. It's kind of that respect rivalry. This is the we hate each other, the uh, the big brother, little brother, the Civil War, the, the Mizzou KU, the, the Red Sox Yankees kind of thing. This is uh, this rivalry is right up there in my book, so. Yeah, well, it definitely is. Yeah, and I've I've definitely used that a bunch, and that's absolutely right. You know, it's it's just different. It just has a different feeling than yeah, a, a Pitt State or a Central or uh, you know some of those other rivalries. Yeah, Big Brother Little Brother is a great way to put it because and that's the way it is. And I think as you know, as as we are Royals fans, you and I, right? Like it's it's uh, you know we're Northwest in this rivalry we're the yankees you know we're the we're the bad guys we're the evil empire and it's uh it's it's unusual and um you know and and i don't even like to compare us to the yankees that leaves a bad taste in my mouth but um you know but it is what it is but that's also kind of what makes this rivalry i think so much fun especially for us it's a good thing this is only an audio podcast because the look on my face as you said that was just uh, like somebody said me castor oil. God, it's, uh, it's, it's gross to be compared to the Yankees. But, I know. Uh, I it is apropos, though, because, yeah, we are the ones that have won six national championships. We've kind of been the, the big dog on the block in the MIAA. And, uh, and really kind of, to me, when this rivalry is at least in my time in this rivalry, has kind of been at best was those few years when Western was as good as we were. You think back to you know the, the Drew Newhart years where they were right there with us, and then right after that was the Travis Partridge years. And I, to me, that's the golden era because they were right there and, and, in fact, came to our house and knocked us off once and took home a conference title and all that. I mean, uh, that to me was like the gold in my, again, my time since 94 or so uh, in this rivalry. That's kind of been when it's the funnest because, and I don't even know who said it the most, but it's out there. Uh, somebody, the other side has to win to make a rivalry fun, and when they're good, that makes the rivalry fun. Yeah, no, it's that, that's one hundred percent right. And you know, you talk about yeah, it was twenty twelve, I think, when they came to our house, and and uh, it was it was almost the exact opposite of that twenty ten playoff game where we were down seventeen at halftime, and we came back spurred by the the uh, you know Josh Baker fake punt where he hurdles a guy, and, and you know, and we you know make that comeback um, in that game after we beat him earlier in the season forty two nothing, which was a lot of fun by the way. Um, but then in in the yeah, twenty twelve game, I think we were up seventeen nothing at halftime halftime in that game and then they come back in I think it was 21-20 that they beat us definitely not a fun a fun memory but but you're right I mean that was um you know and for them I'm sure it doesn't get any better that's their only outright you know MIAA title other than the 03 you know 57 way tie whatever it was when um that season but um you know came at our expense on our home field and I remember being there and their fans storming the field that was not fun <laughs> at all <laughs> no that was not fun at all but I mean and even in that, I mean, I pulled up the box score as you were even talking. Seven minutes left in that game, the Cats kick a field goal to go up twenty to fourteen, or uh, twenty to seven rather. Uh, you don't lo- we don't lose games like that. You don't come into the last half of a fourth quarter down thirteen and come back and beat Northwest at Northwest. So I mean, obviously that was uh, for them fantastic. Uh, Travis obviously had a great game, and uh, I think people kind of forget about Michael Hill and how good he was uh, in this rivalry and how good he really was at Missouri Western. Got a chance to play in the pros, and I remember him at Central. Even he was, you could just tell he was a gifted guy. That team had a little something special. I think that's the year they went to the quarters, if I remember right. Um, and just you could kind of tell. I know they were 
more than excited that night, as you said, start storming the field and uh, and dancing around on the paw and all that. Uh, I mean, that's that, that's what makes rivalries great, and we kind of had to sit there and take it. And, and uh, it, it, I think it left a pretty bitter taste in, in a lot of Bearcat fans' mouths. But I mean, that was just a really good football team. I mean, uh, to, to come and do that at our house. Uh, that's on the bad side of memories, but that is one of the more uh, memorable games of this rivalry for me. Yeah, well, exactly. That's probably, I mean, on, on paper, at least in, in the win column, that's the greatest team in Missouri Western history. And it probably was. I think they had that triple overtime crazy playoff game against, um, you know, against, I think it was Duluth. And then, you know, we lost to Mankato. And they, the, Western was around that year, around later in the playoffs than we were. I think, yeah, that they, you know, we were out the week before then lost to Mankato and they went up there and lost the next weekend, which, which that hasn't happened. You know, when you, when you think about, you know, um, you know, you know, since coach Churchma was around and that's the other thing too, that I, you know, kind of the glory days, I guess, I don't know, that makes me sound old maybe, but the glory days of this rivalry were Jerry Partridge and Mel Churchma, you know, from that 97 to, to when, when, from Jerry was hired to, to 2010 when Mel retired. I mean, those were kind of, you know, those guys guys had a ton of respect for each other they still do to this day but it was fun you know Jerry from a Northwest fan perspective was a fun guy you know to kind of get on and and maybe dislike a little bit hell of a guy and I have nothing but respect for him and you know I've even you know have of course had him on the on the podcast here but um you know but that that just kind of makes it fun when you have those big characters those guys leading the teams against each other well, and, and yeah, and characters is the right word. Uh, those guys are both just, they, they have personality. Uh, obviously, Jerry would say some things at press conferences and poke buttons and push around, and I'll echo that. Uh, yeah, I was, as much as any Bearcat fan ever, I was on Jerry come Saturdays of this week, but uh, Jerry and Travis both are just, and, and, and Mrs. Partridge, whose name escapes me off the top of my head, but uh, they're good people, man. They are, they're good folks. I remember calling Travis's games when he was at Savannah in high school and following them through basketball and baseball, and I always end up standing there talking to Jerry. Jerry and his wife for 10 minutes or so just about football and life and, and the kids and all that. And he's, he's a great guy, and I'm glad he's having a, a lot of success at the next level up, actually, out there in northern Arizona. I got that big win over uh, the uh, the Wildcats a couple weeks ago, which was pretty cool to see. But, yeah, when he was there and Mel was there and, uh, you know, they would go back and forth. And, uh, I mean, I'm sure we'll end up talking about the, the band director incident. You get stuff like that going on on the sidelines and, and uh, crazy finishes. And, yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. And uh, it, it, you don't get that all the time, even in rivalry uh, in between universities. You don't always get those personalities that kind of bring it to the next level. And Jerry was definitely that for, for a Bearcat fan. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, well, let's talk about, you know, that 2010 game is one of my favorite games of all time. We talked about it on that very first episode. I probably brought it up just about on every, <laughs> just about every episode since then. But uh, yeah, with the band director, I get Jerry to talk about that. That was pretty fun. And then the press conference after the game where he makes some kind of, you know, sarcastic comment about Mel going out to pasture, which of course has a bad connotation. He didn't mean it that way, but, you know, but basically saying, good grief, we need, you know, we need this guy to retire so I can, you know, so I can have some success. And and then funny funny enough, you know, Coach T does retire, and then a couple of years, the you know they have that great 20, 2012 season. But um, yeah, that game, I think that just kind of adds to the I don't know the legend of that game. Right, we're we're down seventeen nothing. Even the crowd, you know, the kind of the arid went out of Bearcat Stadium, and then you know the band director and Coach Partridge kind of have some words, and and then you know it kind of I remember it kind of fired the fans up and woke the fans up coming in from halftime, and and that's just you know that's that is another great reason just why this rivalry is so great. 
no, you're remembering that exactly right. I, I, uh, for whatever reason, we were standing in that, I guess it'd be the northern, the northeastern kind of turn on the track there outside on the fence when all this happened. So we had like a front row view as this just went down and we're, we're all just kind of talking and just kind of passively watching as this is all, and then as it kind of escalated, we're like, wait a minute, is this really happening here? Are they really going to fight? Uh, this just, and then, so then, yes, the students got going and the crowd got going. And I think the players very much fed off that because, uh, you know, you come back and, and uh, score basically right out of the uh, the halftime break, first drive right down the field, and uh, you get the big uh, Josh Baker run. And then uh, a little bit later in the quarter, you score to go up and kind of erase this big deficit and ultimately then score 14 in, in the fourth quarter to come back 28-24. And I, I think very much that instant at halftime fired up the – the crowd and I think the players kind of fed off that as everything was kind of happening. I think even the band was pretty fired up on that day. Uh, but uh, yeah, that ended up uh, I think kind of a uh, being a, a turning point in that game. And who knows how history goes at that point? If Missouri Western, like you said, up seventeen nothing at halftime when all that kind of transpires, who knows how that game turns out otherwise? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, it's fun. I I love to talk about. That, that 2010 season. I know we're talking Missouri Western rivalry, but there's so many close games and other things. Of course, the Todd Adolph walk-off field goal against Central, and, and just there's so many fun things about that season. And that, to me, you know, just kind of adds to it. Yeah, because we were, oh my gosh, on our home field after we beat this team 42 nothing. We're down 17 at halftime, and this is this is not good. You know, this just doesn't happen. And and uh, even Coach T, when we were talking, um, you know, t- talked about he really one of the few times he said he really wasn't that proud of himself. He just lit into the team team um at halftime and really let him have it and whatever he said <laughs> that coupled with everything else you know it's 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 one of the great memories for us bearcat fans in this rivalry yeah and i i, I don't even know what coach t light, lighted into somebody would be like that guy as we talked off the air he's just one of the nicest people you'll ever meet. true uh, yes most uh most uh, I've seen him ever do was the uh, you got to do what's right for the kids play that we all know so well. I mean, he's just not somebody that likes into people, so I don't even know what that'd be like. And uh, I'm sure if, if it happened, uh, if I was a player, that would certainly uh, motivate me to play a little better in the second half. <laughs> well, sidebar. So, so I was talking to him off air, and we talked about that that moment. I said, Coach, you know, I went and found on YouTube when they mic'd you up against Midwestern State, and you, you got to do what's right for the kids. He, of course, just laughed about it. But that's just one of the legendary, you know. And the the I think Jake Phillips told the story when I had him on the referee, the voice cracking. I am, you know, just um, <laughs> just just the magic. It's the Jedi mind tricks of of Mel Churchman and uh, just the. <laughs> Just everything that goes into it. That's, I'm glad you brought that up. That's just spectacular. Shout out to our buddy Ryan Midley at Missouri Western because at that time he was the guy at KQ2 that had Coach Mike up for that. So if not for that, uh, we wouldn't have that great moment. And I've done my job for I'm, I'm in my 17th season at the radio station. I've been played days. I watched college football and pro football all my life. I don't know if I've ever seen a coach win an argument with an official and get them to completely reverse a call. That might be the only time I've ever seen that in my life. And uh, so, yeah, that one's going to stick out in my memory for for uh, for all time. So uh, thanks to Coach T for, for a lifetime of that one. Right. <laughs> no, absolutely. Well, let's talk a little bit about this year's game. I mean, we, we – uh... 
um, you know, and I kind of have here on, on the podcast, but you know, it's it, Northwest. We're we're seemingly just kind of hitting our stride. You know, week one. Who knows? You know, you got a you know six hundred and whatever day layoff. You don't really know what to expect. We come out and in haze. We get the win. That's great. And it seems like we just keep. Um, you know, we just keep getting better, you know, the offense and that central game. And then, you know, I know coach Wright talked about, he wasn't super happy with how the defense played, give up a ton of yards against central, even though they only scored seven points. Then we come out <laughs> last week and throw a shutout and, and, uh, boy, it seems like, uh, you know, Missouri Western isn't catching us at a real great time for them. Great time for, uh, for Bearcat fans. though, I think. Oh, for sure. I think we're, uh, we're playing, uh, some pretty good football right now. And, and, you know, when you talked about their, you who knows with that week one? Everybody had been off so long. I think you kind of have to throw that out. Um, I don't think missing the Lincoln game was necessarily good. Uh, obviously, you want to get out and play those games uh, and sharpen it on the field. But uh, I think practice-wise, we can go back and have that long to kind of fix your mistakes and then get the chomping at the bit to come back. I think was great uh, for the Bearcats, and obviously they've come back roaring. I think that uh, win over Central Oklahoma was uh, was a pretty good victory, and not just in the I think they were going to win that game, uh, but the way they won that game in a dominating fashion to, to pitch the shutout against a team that can move the ball and put up some points. I mean, there's a lot of good, very good signs from that game, and I think seeing the offense kind of crank up its uh, its uh, RPMs a little bit is uh, is definitely a good sign moving forward. Um, you said maybe a bad sign for Missouri Western to catch, but man, Missouri Western, uh, this is a team that's playing games. Uh, I think. One of the big keys is going to be not taking the foot off the gas pedal. I said RPMs there, so I'm going to make another car reference. Keep the foot on the gas pedal. This is a second-half team. They almost came back and beat Central Oklahoma week one. Uh, they played extremely well second half against Fort Hayes, get out of there 38-31, had to make the comeback against Emporia, and, you know, you say what you want about early in the game, but uh, they, they played very well second half there, and then obviously Washburn's a heck of a ball club, and they were right there with them the whole time. Uh, this is a team I don't think you can ever take your foot off the pedal with. They seem to be uh, a team that kind of figures some things out as they go, and then uh, once they get it figured out, can really exploit what they figured out. Uh, so I, I think you really have to, uh, like I said, kind of get on them and stay on them if you're gonna gonna put them away. Right. Yeah. No, you're not gonna feel like a lead is comfortable with them. They got a ton of weapons on offense. Even their quarterback. I mean, I, I questioned it here on the season preview. You know, how good is Missouri Western gonna be? They're gonna be as good as Anthony Vespo or whoever ends up playing a quarterback. The dude throws 400 and whatever it was yards. I think a school record against Washburn. Even though he did throw a couple interceptions that maybe were the difference in the game. But I mean, he, um, man, I I didn't see that coming. From him, I mean, you know they can run the ball, and they they definitely have electric playmakers all over the field, and and they're they're a talented team. I think there's no doubt about that, and uh, you know, but uh, you know, man, this this Bearcat team, it seems like we're we're kind of talk about revving up. I think we're revving up kind of at the perfect time of the season, where what we want to see is fans, anyway. Yeah, especially as you're coming through this portion of the schedule, I think what we all kind of looked at and you're like, man, look at that thing. you got Fort Hayes first, Central Missouri right in there, Missouri Western's right there, uh, Pitt State's right around the corner. This is kind of that portion of the schedule where we better be revving it up. And, uh, again, you get the rivalry. You can throw all the, the stats and revved up all you want because everybody's going to be revved up come Saturday. Uh, but this is, this is a huge game. Obviously, Western's fighting for playoff life basically now with that second loss. Uh, last week, I don't think anybody's going to be able to make it into the actual bracket. You, you can have some bowls and all that, but you know we're playing for the real trophy at this point. Uh, you, you get a third loss, you're done. So they're going to come out fired up. It's going to take a, a great effort. I think uh, one of the keys is going to be controlling Vespo. That kid, uh, it surprised me as well, as you mentioned there, uh, 
that was kind of a question mark coming into the season is how has, has that quarterback position developed. And, uh, again, throwing four touchdowns against Washburn tells you that's a good Washburn bunch over there in Topeka, and you're on the road at their place. Throw four touchdowns, yes, two interceptions, and I haven't watched tape to know uh, exactly how all that went down. But if you can throw four touchdowns at Washburn uh, when you're both upper, upper level of the league, You've grown, and you've definitely taken big strides forward. So uh, controlling that kid's going to be a big key on Saturday, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about the Bearcats too. You know, when we talk about kind of how the offense has developed, I think that's that's what we were looking for, right? Because you know we're judging. Yeah, you know it it isn't just playoffs. It's it's national titles. You know that that's the goal. And I mean, you know the super seniors. They talked about that at media day. You know that's been the kind of the whole message. The reason so many of them came back is because they haven't won a national championship, and so that you know and that's what they want to do. And and I think. I don't know, you know, the, the steps the offense has taken, I think, has taken this from a from a deep playoff run team, you know, kind of, you know, what we saw maybe in 2019, which, hey, you know, we've had improvements each year that Rich Wright has been the coach. We lost first round of the playoffs 2017. We win a game in 2018. We win two playoff games in 2019. I mean, the next step to me is, you know, semifinal or bust, I think. Um, and, I, you know, it's probably really national championship or bust for the team. And, uh, you know, that's that's kind of the, the thing. I mean, not, you know, no disrespect to anybody else that we're playing, you know, Western this week or whoever. But, I mean, that's, you know, when you come to Northwest, that's – that's the goal. No, oh, yeah, it's, I think every season uh, at this point in our uh, uh, the hierarchy, so to speak, is national championships or bust, and I think the, the coaches and players would say that as well. Um, as far as the offense development goes, uh, I have been loved seeing Al McKellar coming on. That kid has been such a uh, breath, of, breath of fresh air for for Bearcat fans. I think we've waited a long time to have just a. Uh, a man-child back there, so to speak, uh, running out. I like the fact that we've got two backs that can kind of do this thing. Devontae Green's been kind of fun, and he got his first touchdown last week. And we're, we're seeing other guys, but, man, watch this McKellar kid. He's, he's faster than you think he is. And then that uh, gift that's kind of going around that went viral there, him just stiff-arming the soul out of that player from Central Missouri. Uh, that, I mean, that's a man running the football. He's a lot of fun to watch. And, uh, I mean, you're talking number nine guy in the country in yards per game. And, uh, the things he's doing, I think that just gives this offense a little more edge. And uh, I, I know I'm going to mispronounce the kid's name, Mike Honesty, or however he says it, the, the new uh, uh, quarterback, former punter. Uh, that kid really hitting the ground running as the quarterback, no pun intended there, has uh, given this thing a, a little bit of a, a different edge when you, when you have the uh, the style of running we're getting from those two backs. And now you bring uh, Mike in and the things he's doing back there just uh, right out of the gates when he's kind of been thrust into this thing. Uh, this offense is fun to, to watch, and I, I'm curious if they can keep it rolling what we saw uh, a week ago against uh, Central Oklahoma. If they can keep that going against, I think, a step up in competition against Western and their defense and some of the things they've done. But if they can duplicate what the efficiency they've had, I think we're in for some pretty good stuff. Yeah, I think so. Well, buddy, I'm going to cut it off there. I appreciate you coming on here as always, and and uh, hope we can do it again soon. Absolutely, my man. Anytime, and uh, go Bearcats. Go Cats is right. That's Sports and Program Director 100.1 KKWK in Cameron, Missouri. Chris Ward, good friend of mine. And as far as I'm concerned, he's the voice of high school sports in Northwest Missouri. They do such a great job for all high school sports, especially during football season, all the different games. And he's got all the coaches locally, and they do a really, really good job on their Friday night uh, scoreboard show as well. And, of course, on Saturdays, they play Bearcat games as well. So you can tune in, and, and you're in the area, and listen to the Bearcats on 100.1. So appreciate his time. And 
kind of sticking along those broadcasting, uh, same broadcasting lines, Bob Orff is a guy I've talked about on this podcast before. Back in the Nate Goner episode before the season started, we spent a lot of time. He was a big influence on both of us. And honestly, you know, radio can really be a cutthroat business. And he was one of the nicest human beings that I've ever met, let alone somebody in radio that that never had an ego. And uh, I can't say enough good things about this man. He's a dear friend of mine. We've kind of reconnected over this podcast, which has happened, honestly, to a lot of the people that I've talked to on here that I don't get, you know, kind of, you lose touch with, right? Life happens, you lose touch with people. And, uh, you know, I'm a big relationship guy. And, and, you know, it's nice to be able through this to talk to different people who who mean a lot to me. And Bob Orff is one of those people, uh, the retired now voice of the Griffins, longtime, longtime broadcaster at KFEQ. Bob, thanks so much for taking some time, man, and coming on the podcast with me. Hey, Matt, it's great to talk with you, and it was really good to, to catch up with you because I hadn't talked to you since back in the radio days, and uh, I was surprised at how long it had been since we last talked. No, I know. Well, and that's the thing. And, and you have come up on this podcast before when I had Nate Goner on here. We both talked about what an influence you were on us. And strangely enough, I don't think I got a chance to tell you this, but so if you remember, what was it, 20, 2009 maybe when Brad Beckwith hit a walk-off field goal against Washburn <laughs> at the time. That's right. So, so that clip, and Nate was went up for a Missouri Broadcasters Award that season for that package that he put together, kind of dubbed the kick. I got to voice part of that. I actually played that on the podcast before I played any clips from any Northwest games. I, uh, we had a clip between for a uh, Missouri Western and Washburn game. So I kind of thought that was ironic on a, on a, on a Bearcat podcast. But if, if I do that of anybody, it would be you and it would be for Nate Goner. So, <laughs> so you can be honored for that reason, I guess. Well, I do remember that game. I do remember that kick because it was before Greg Zerline came along, and that guy was unbelievable, and he's kicking on Sundays now and still is. But uh, Beckwith's kick was huge. Yeah, it was 50-plus. I think it was 53, maybe, mm-hmm. something like yep, that. Yep, it was 53, yep. And it was. there's a great picture that uh, somebody took a part-timer that worked for the station of that ball going through the uprights and all the players watching it. It's a really good picture, but yeah, that was a good one. Well, it's funny Beckwith, you know, from from Cameron. Folks may know that, but but he he held like every kicking record at Missouri Western, and then he was immediately followed by Greg Zerline. I feel like everybody kind of forgot about Brad Beckwith because Zerline was from another planet. I think. Yeah, he was. You know, it's a really interesting story how Greg Zerline came to kick at Western because that guy played, if you count it, he was a six-year senior because he played, he had a red shirt for an injury, and he was playing a fifth year, and then that last year, UNO dropped football. And when they dropped football, that gave him another year of eligibility. And he decided to come to Western because he had the inside practice facility and he knew he could practice kicking. We knew the guy was good. We thought, man, this guy's this guy's really good. Man, that one year he kicked for them. I think that one year he kicked for Western, he kicked nine field goals. There were fifty or longer. It was just unbelievable. Well, and I remember, and that's actually, I made myself some notes of some of the games over the years between Northwest and Western, and I remember in 2011, where we played each other twice in three weeks, um, in St. Joe both times, with the, the game uh, 31-21, Western won, Zerline hit a 53 and 58 yarders, 
in that game. Yeah. And then two weeks yeah. later in the playoffs, Northwest, of course, we did get our revenge. But that was, I think, the most impressive kicking performance I ever seen. The wind was crazy that day. I remember it blowing 20-plus miles an hour. He kicked 58, 57, and 52. I mean, that guy, I remember, I think the 58-yarder was into the wind, and there was a wicked crosswind. And, I mean, I've we were watching that, and it's like, that's the greatest kicker I've ever seen in my life at any level. And, obviously, he's doing it at the highest level, and, and good for him. But what a, the guy's like an alien. <laughs> what a kicker. Yeah, he was, he was amazing because he, he was just kind of a little short guy. And you go, like, where's this guy get all the power to kick like that? He had a great he had a great leg. I mean, he could really kick. And then to transfer onto the professional stage and be that good. I saw him kick one the other, I think, the first week of the NFL games this week. And he, I think he kicked a winner for Dallas in that one. But, man, that guy... That guy has made a little bit of money kicking on Sundays. Yeah, he absolutely has, for sure. Well, and yeah, yeah. and yeah, you talk about UNO, you know, canceling their football, uh, you know, dropping football. We got James Franklin, a heck of a running back, got a couple of good years out of him at Northwest, and so so That's Northwest right. benefited yeah. as well. But, but yeah, we sure didn't like to see Zerline uh, <laughs> kicking down south. That's for sure. He was good. Yeah, he was the best I've ever seen. So so let's talk about this rivalry a little bit, Bob. I mean, go back. I mean, when, is there a time where you kind of remember um, the rivalry really taking off um, as far as, you know, some of the games? I mean, of course, in the, you know, the mid-90s, you know, Coach Churchma comes in, makes Northwest better, and, and then, you know, Coach Partridge comes in in, what, I think, 97, I think is when he was the head coach um, at Western. And those are the two guys, you know, when I look at this rivalry over the years, I think those are the two guys that I most associate with this rivalry is Coach Churchma and Coach Partridge. Yeah, I think, I think you're right, uh, Matt. It, it, really, it really is those two guys. I went back to 1994, and I looked at Northwest record. Mills' first year at Northwest, they were 0-11, you know, and I remember that. I go, like, holy – I mean, I hate to say this to you. You're doing a Bearcat podcast here, but it used to be Northwest was a team you always wanted to play because you thought you'd get an easy win. Well, that course changed under Mill. There's no question about that. He went from 0-11, and then the next year they were 6-5. and And I thought, whoa. That is, that isn't just a turnaround. That's an abrupt turnaround. He, he totally changed the whole program at Northwest and made them really, really, really good. Won national championships, and he was, he became the coach and the team that nobody wanted to play because you knew they were really, really good and loaded. Yeah, absolutely. You know, what are do you have some favorite moments, or I don't know, things that that you always thought of as you know, whenever it, whether the game was at Western or Northwest or whatever, you know, over the years of you know what what kind of the rivalry meant to you, I guess. Uh, it just always was a great one. I mean, the fans made it that way, and Northwest always traveled great if they were playing at Western, and Western had pretty good crowds. They would take the Northwest, and they. You know, it's just a natural Division Two rivalry in football, and I think it helped make the rivalry great in all the other sports in the MIAA too, including basketball, volleyball, baseball, anything you want to talk about. But if uh, you know, I, I go back to some of the games, and it's always tough to beat Northwest. It's it's easier for me, obviously, to remember the few times Western has beat Northwest because 
it just didn't happen very often. It was very difficult to do once Church got that program turned around. And, uh, you know, I go back to 2003, and that was uh, the game at, at Spratt Stadium. Uh, that was back before we had all the great facilities and the big press box and the new field and the, all the stuff we had. But that was 2003, and Michael Cooper was the quarterback then, and Wester won that game in overtime. And, uh, you know, Northwest scored first. They kicked a field goal to go up, and then Western uh, got that run from Cooper to win it. And I'll, I can still have that picture in my mind of all the Northwest fans on the other side of the field. And when that when he made that run and got in the end zone, everybody on that side of the field got up and left as quickly as they could. And the people on the Western side, of course, were losing their minds, going crazy. But it was it was uh, that was a big win for Western back in 2003. Well, uh, well, I remember I brought that game up to you when when we had talked about this last week as one of the things I wanted to talk about because unfortunately I remember that game very well. I was actually sitting on the Western side. I had went um, to one of my friends uh, in, from high school. I'd come hung out with him and we'd went to the game together and. And the thing that I remember most is I was working there in, in Eagle, that the radio station's there in St. Joe, and, and I had to work after that game. And so um, if, if folks remember, Northwest fans remember, you, you, one of the things, Bob, that you are well known for is just kind of going nuts. I mean, you were you were just as you were out there on the field with those guys so excited and the pat your passion really came through. And I remember that game when when uh, Cooper scrambled and it seemed like, I don't remember if it was the first play of overtime, if it was the fourth down or what it was, but it seemed he ran around and then he had an open path and, and ran in the end zone. The call, Your call, and, and Kent Hire at the time, too, your your broadcast partner, who I've been uh, fortunate enough to know and be friends with and work with both of you guys, but I remember going back to the stations after that game and your you know epic call where you just lose your mind. Um, and then Kent, I believe it was editing it, putting it together maybe for a news story or something. He's like, hey, hey, uh, Hey, Fro, come here and listen to this, and he plays it for me. And I think all of you guys, the whole rest of that week that I worked with you, just about at least once or twice a day, I had to relive that loss uh, several <laughs> several times that you guys like to kind of rubbing that in my face a little bit. But you know, as you said, that you know some some of those wins were kind of few and few and far between. And so, oh yeah, uh, it's it, but it was all all in good fun. But yeah, that's a game I remember. I remember. I think there was an overtime game. Was it in 01? And uh, so I'm from Union yeah. Star, and there were a couple of brothers, Matt and Chad Smith, who also played for Western. And so the whole town of Union Star just about was all Western fans then. And it seemed like Matt Matt was a running back. Chad was a safety. It seemed like Matt maybe scored a touchdown in that in that 01 game. I, I don't remember that one, but um, that's one that, you know, kind of was before my time and before I was a Bearcat. But, uh, you know, I'll remember... Uh, definitely remember that one yeah just even though you know even when even though northwest you know had a lot of dominance it seemed like the games were always going to be close we were, we always knew that we were always going to get uh, get western shot and those games just kind of had a little little different feel about them i think yeah yeah you're right they did they they took even if western was having a bad year or northwest wasn't as good as they had been the year before you, you knew that game meant something. It was an important game. It always was when Northwest and Western got together, and I guess it will be this coming Saturday, too. 
Well, and the interesting thing too, you know, if you think about Northwest Missouri Western, I mean, it's it's kind of apples to oranges almost. And you know, if you talk go, even go back to you know Coach Partridge and all the success that he had at Western, I think um, you know maybe that gets maybe he gets even more credit than than he already got if if he doesn't have the team up north, you know, winning national championships, and he doesn't have to be you know compared to Mel Churjima, um, maybe all the time. But but it's it's such a different. I don't know, you know, it's and, and we've I've talked about it here on the podcast and, and it's it's just a difference of in Maryville, everything in that community revolves around Northwest. And in St. Joe, right. you know, there's a lot of other stuff going on. So it's it's kind exactly. of different. Um, but boy, the fan bases, I mean, we you know, for for us anyway, I guess we'd be the big brother, right? I guess I hate to say this as a Royals fan, but I guess we'd be the Yankees, you know, if you will. Northwest would be, but um and I guess, yeah, I just got a little bad taste in my mouth just saying that. But, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, it's, um, it's just, it was, it's more of a rivalry built out of just hatred, I think. And I think it pretty, pretty much flows both ways, at least from the fan bases, anyway. Yeah. Some people get a little overboard on it, I think, from time to time. But yeah, you're right. And let's, let's face it Northwest Missouri State in Maryville is Maryville. If the college wasn't there, I'm not saying the town wouldn't exist, but it wouldn't be nearly what it is. Missouri Western's a part of, of St. Joe, but obviously the towns, you know, even though they lost some census here recently, uh, lost some numbers, they're still around 75,000 people. So the college is a big part of the town, but it's not the town where I think Northwest is when you talk about Maryville. So, um, but yeah, yeah. I was looking at another game here. I was thinking about that came up, and that was uh, that was 2012, and that's when uh, and really a game that led up to the Northwest game for Western was they played the Pitt State, and I know Pitt State's a huge rivalry with Northwest, and uh, <laughs> that year Western went to Pitt State, and whenever you went to Pitt State, I mean pretty much you don't get beat. Um, I know Northwest won their share of games there, but if you count regular season games, not the playoffs, Pitt State at the time Western went to Pittsburgh in 2012. I think they'd lost six times at Carney Smith Stadium in their entire history. I mean, they just never, ever lost regular season conference games. And Western beat them 63-14. to and they had Jerry Partridge's son, Travis, was the quarterback, and he was a junior that year. He had a great, great game. They just absolutely took it to Pittsburgh State, and we were just totally – we couldn't believe it. I mean, we were, we couldn't believe we beat them like that. And, yeah, I don't think Pitt State did either. But And then later that year, we played uh, Northwest in Maryville, um, trailed 17 nothing at halftime, came back and won it 21-20. And uh, that was a, that was a big big football game back then um, to beat Northwest at Northwest and win the MFAA championship. That was a big deal in 2012. I'm sure when you talk with Jerry, he'll say the same thing. That was a big game, and uh, I got. Did you know Mark Pickrell when he worked at the radio? Station? Yes, I sure did. Yep. Okay, Mark Pickrell. He, we also had a good back and forth because he was a big Northwest Bearcat guy. And he came up to me when I'm doing the game with Rigard in the booth. 
he comes up in there and looks at me, 17 nothing, Bob. I'm going like, hey, the game's not over yet. Well, he left. I never saw him after that. <laughs> Western came back and won it 21 to 20. And that was the year that Western played Minnesota Duluth. First playoff game at Spratt Stadium. Went triple overtime. Western won 57 55. Uh, it was one of those crazy games. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was one that stands out, 2012. Yeah, and, and at least on field success-wise, you know, if you go records and deep playoff run, I think that, you know, that was the greatest Western team ever. Um, yeah, and, you know, I, I remember that game, unfortunately. Yeah, we were, it, it mirrored, it was it was almost the exact opposite of that 2010 playoff game where Western was up 17 nothing at halftime, and we came storming back and, and won that game. That's what this was for. Yeah, and that was the, that's the only time Western's ever won outright anyway. Of course, they were involved in the crazy, you know, five-way tie or whatever it was in 03, but their only yeah. outright you know, MIAA championship was that 2012 season. I'm and I, yeah, I'll definitely talk to Jerry about that. I'm sure that's special to him with his son Travis as the quarterback. You know, and and uh, yeah, that's uh, that, that's one I had jotted down on my piece of paper. It's not a favorite memory of mine, but I figured <laughs> I figured it'd probably get brought up. So yeah, it, it was. And you know, and I'm going to give a lot of credit to Jerry because he was a great coach, and I think a lot of people, when you got your own son playing football. And he's playing at the college where you coach. That doesn't happen a whole lot. I mean, and that's a risky deal. I mean, there you are. You're the coach. It's your son. And you're, <laughs> and people look at you and go like, I mean, how do you do the right thing? If, if you, you know, every play is going to be scrutinized and looked at closely. And why'd you do this? And why'd you do that? But it was, it was really, uh, yeah, it was really a difficult situation, I think, for him to be in, and he handled it very, very well, I thought. Yeah, and they had great success, you know, when Travis was the quarterback. That's uh, that's for sure. Now he's a coach out of KU, and, um, yeah, so that's uh, that's pretty cool. Well, Bob, I think I'm going to cut it off there. I think we could probably go all day. It's been great chatting with you and kind of reliving some rivalry memories, and I, uh, I appreciate you so much taking a little time and, and coming on the podcast here with me. Hey, when you have Andrew Mead on, if you get him on the the pass catcher for Western, I mean, I'm looking at stats. He's second all-time for the most catches in a game. He had 11 receptions one game, and his name is listed. You look in the top 10, it's in there a lot. He was a great receiver for Western. And when you talk with Jerry, tell him hi for me, and uh, we had some great memories together. It will do, and definitely appreciate it, Bob. That's Bob Orff, longtime voice of the Griffins and and uh, KFEQ, kind of a fixture there in St. Joseph, been retired for a number of years. A lot of great times and, and things. Appreciate his time. And, you know, speaking of Andrew Mead, he is actually my next guest here. Oh, yeah, getting getting covering this from all sides, right? The, the wide receiver from Missouri Western. He also played basketball there from 05 to uh, 2010. Led Mo Weston catches in 07, 08, and 2010. That 2010 season of his which we'll of course talk about and of course that's a couple of bearcat wins there um, one of the greatest seasons for any western wide receiver in history third all-time in catches was 62 second most receiving touchdowns 12 um he and, and that's the sixth best touchdowns in a season all time um so that rushing, receiving, whatever. So that's pretty impressive. But he's a, a good buddy of mine. We work together at Altec. And uh, Andrew, thanks, man, for uh, coming on and, and joining me here on the podcast. Thanks, brother. It's very good to be here.
So so let's talk a little bit before we get into the rivalry. So you you're you know from Gower, East Buck. So when you're you're coming out of high school, I know you were recruited by Northwest, Missouri Western. What was the the recruitment process like? I mean, what what schools were you getting and why ultimately was Missouri Western the the decision for you? I chose Missouri Western basically because I had a large number of people that I knew that were already at the school. Joey Harris from Plattsburgh. J.R. Graham was from Plattsburgh. Kyle Knighton was from West Platte. Uh, we had a lot of different individuals that I was familiar with at Missouri Western already. Um, so whenever I was able to go to the, the visit there, everything seemed just like a very seamless fit. Um, I did have other opportunities with different universities, but it really came down to not going division one. And if that wasn't on the table, then Missouri Western would have been the school I wanted to go to. Well, and that was always interesting. I was, you know, when I think about, you know, a, a Jerry Partridge coach teams of those, well, you know, a, yeah. of, of the times it was, there was a, there it seemed like Missouri Western always had a really good contingent of local kids. You know I mean? You talk about a Drew Newhart from Cameron and, you know, St. Joe kids and other things. I mean, I'm sure you could, you could name a bunch, but that was, that was always the thing. I mean, so, so it sounds like, you know, to, to play with other guys that you kind of grew up and played against or played with or whatever it, you know, that was one of the things that probably made that an attractive choice. Well, and I neglected mentioning Coach Partridge because he was a large component in going to Missouri Western. He was he was awesome as far as the recruitment process. He he made you feel very wanted and it was something that I appreciated in him. So it also kinda added to the desire to go to Western. Um, but as far as exactly like, as far as my personal experience, I just, the, the people who I grew up around like Jared Curl and the Burnside brothers, Grayson brothers, they're from Plattsburgh. So I always had kind of a connection to Western. I knew a lot of kids that went to Northwest, you know, to college, but it never really, I mean, it never really seemed like the place that I'd end up just, I think, cause I'm that much of a homebody even 45 minutes is further than 20 so i i chose you know to kind of become more of a a griff opposed to a bearcat sure well and you kind of have an interesting perspective on this rivalry too because you also played basketball at western so you didn't just play northwest in football you also yeah. played basketball and and uh, yeah that um, was awesome how 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 was the rivalry different. I mean, I know now there's a lot more eyes on, on Bearcat men's basketball. Um, but you know, I think the football, yeah. football team always trumps, but I mean, what, what, what differences did you see when you played Northwest on the football field as opposed to the basketball court? I felt like the, I felt like the atmosphere was a little different because you'd go up on a Wednesday night and play, you know, at the auditorium there and on campus. And it was so much different than playing on a Saturday afternoon at you know the, the stadium uh at bearcat stadium just because you know the atmosphere is different midweek in in january where it's cold at the same time you know you're playing northwest so you want to win but um it was a cool experience to be able to play them you know not only in football but also basketball 
staying on the football field. So, um, you know, talking about, you know, the Northwest rivalry, I mean, it was always a big deal, I think, to Coach Partridge, you know, starting at the top. What, what, was there a difference um, to practice, whether it was communicated or not, uh, the weeks you were playing Northwest as opposed to playing, a, I don't know, a, you know, a, a team further down the conference standings? Yes, absolutely. It was awesome. It was something that you definitely looked forward to all season. You know, you only get, I mean, for us, it was 10 games guaranteed. It seems like at Northwest it was a lot more, but at the same time, that's a very small window of opportunities to actually play. So you spend so much time in the weight room on the, on the field. Um, I, I, I just remember those times of just building towards those moments. And, you know, for us, that moment was playing Northwest. So it was something that you always wanted to be at, you know, peak performance whenever you were able to play them. And we had a lot of opportunities. And I mean, I was, I was able to be a part of a lot of them, but you know, that being said, opportunities and winning are two different things. And, you know, I never beat them in football. We beat them. I played basketball one year. We beat them. We split the season with them, but I mean, never beat them in football. So that was something that, always was something I strive for that always eluded me. But at the same time, I mean, it was definitely made me a much better person and, and player for sure. Well, and I remember, you know, a couple of games, first 07, where we did win 44-20, but you had a couple of touchdowns. I I, always, I did remember, uh, you know, when Northwest would play against you, and then we got the chance to work together later. And so it's it's been kind of neat for me to get to know you and, and you know, somebody I can I can call my friend. You're, you know, you're you a super great guy, and we don't hold the fact that, that I'm a Bearcat and, and you're a Griffin against each other. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, to... Was that a big deal, even though, you know, I understand there's no moral victories and things like that, but, but are those, you know, when, when you look back at your performances, say in a, in a game like that, where you're able to score a couple of touchdowns, you know, as, as a, uh, what I think maybe your, your sophomore year then, I mean, is, is that something you look back on finally, or just because it was a loss, you're like, eh, I don't like to think about that game. So the first touchdown that I scored was on a, a slant and I scored the touchdown and I remember I got up and I was just running my mouth. I was, I was, I was standing over the corner and I just remember the ref telling me basically look at the scoreboard and it was 28 to six. So I was like, yeah, that's a good point. So that was something I learned from that point on, like, you know, cause I scored again that, that, that game. And I just remember just giving the ball to the ref because I was not trying to hear any sort of, any sort of a, uh, you know, explanation from him to celebrate. I was just, a, I just kind of had a fire to an individual matchup, even no matter you're getting beat or not. I just always remember wanting to beat the guy across from me. And, and I just remember it coming to, fruition whenever you're able to score kind of going back to like you said just training year round and you know we we practice against each other but you would always want to be ready for that moment whenever it came I was obviously excited especially against no that's the thing too I'm sure you talk to guys from Emporia or Fort Hayes or Southern or Washburn, anybody like that. You, you, you just wanted to beat the guy across from you. It was a competitor mindset that I definitely 
found myself in, and oh, I just, I just absolutely admit more, even though we were getting blasted and we still ended up losing. But yeah, they were, they were definitely instrumental in my growth as a player. Well, the, the fade pattern, I mean, that was something that was something with you, big, big, tall, physical receiver. And, uh, you know, that's why I was talking to Bob Orff <laughs> here recently. And that's what he's like. If you talk to Andrew Mead, he's like, you have to ask him uh, about uh, running those fade patterns all the time because uh, he, he he called all your games and, and remember that. And that was, uh, yeah, something that uh, is that is that something I mean, I don't know. Is that something you, you look back and remember finally took a lot of a lot of pride in that particular route since you were such a big, strong physical receiver? So me personally, yes. But once again, this is about Northwest. So against Northwest, how they would scheme against me is they would have their you know corners up in my face and they'd always have safety help. So Drew or uh, Mike, I mean, it didn't matter who was our quarterback they would always be hesitant to check out because a lot of what I did was basically the quarterback seeing something and checking out of the play we were in. And it was more or less a hot route. So they would basically see a safety way inside the box and we just feast on man to man coverage. But Northwest was talented enough to play man to man coverage and also shade over top and also play the run. So, whenever you're able to do that, it's just, you know, take your hat off to you, but never had much success against Northwest as far as running the fade, but everybody else I did. <laughs> well, and, and, you know, talking about a couple of games, you know, go to 2010, your senior year, of course, you know, neither one's going to be a, a great memory. So I'll, I'll go ahead and apologize for bringing them up. But yeah, the, I say which game that year, the first, is, the first one at home, which I yeah, think yeah. might be the record crowd ever at Northwest, almost 11,000 people. I, I yeah, mean, it was, it was awesome. 40, 42. We were both top 10 teams, such a big matchup. Of course, the Bearcats win 42, nothing. Yeah. And, uh, memories from that game. I mean, I'm guessing they're probably not very pleasant. Oh, no, it was just a perfect day up there. I mean, I remember going on a visit up there. And I just remember how cool the vibe was, the environment, the fans, everything about it was just, I mean, it was it was different because I'd been to plenty of Missouri Western games and it was different. And this is this is after they'd won. This is after they won a national championship. So obviously the the stadium was changing, everything was changing, but it was just a packed house. And I just remember that same feeling. I remember warming up and how many people were in the fan, you know, the stands just warming up. And I was excited and ready. And I mean, I got apparently too excited. It did not play well. And obviously the team didn't end up too well either. Well, then at the end of the season, it was, it was just like, I don't know, six or seven weeks later, less than a couple months later, it seems like you guys came up again in the first round of the playoffs um, and obviously got off to a great start. I mean, it's something, you know, the, there's so many legendary moments in this game as a Bearcat fan, you know, probably not, you know, maybe the first half <laughs> for you. I remember you scored a touchdown in that uh, in that game. You guys got out to a 17 nothing lead. Um you know, we had the the famous Josh Baker fake punt where he hurdles a guy to kind of start the third quarter on that first drive, and you guys 
think maybe we scored a couple of touchdowns, scored again, and then we end up, of course, you know, scoring a couple of late touchdowns, winning uh, 28-24. But what have your what are your memories of that game, specifically the first half? Because really, just you know, a, 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 we'll say a couple of months earlier, you know, you you lose forty two to nothing, and you know how what was it like going into halftime? You know, it was about probably about the perfect first half for you guys. Yeah, it was. It was exactly how we had, you know, like slept on it. It was what we wanted it, how it started. We didn't show any signs of intimidation and didn't give up the big play and defense on our end ended up making some big plays to kind of kickstart our offense. And we were able to punch some in. Um, I mean, it was just a, it was a, a perfect start for us. We felt like we had a great opportunity to, I mean, win the game. It was that simple. And I felt like that year we had, we had strong leadership. So it wasn't anything that we got complacent about in the, at halftime, but the way the, the plays that were made, I mean, it was, it was just something that you had to be there to see, because like you said, you mentioned Baker's fake punt and, and just that, that kick started what was to come. And, Unfortunately, it was yeah last last time I ever played. Well, and and it's it's funny the crowd, um, it, it's as it, being there. And I was actually on the sideline for that game, which is the first game, first Northwest game ever that I ever uh, acquired a sideline pass um, for. But um, it was, you know, it was just so crazy. You know, it was a big crowd, of course, playoffs. Everybody's excited, and and you guys, you know, I think. I don't know if it was Northwest from a fan's perspective. We thought, oh yeah, you know, Missouri Western's coming in here. We'll just beat them again, whatever, no big deal. And I guess that's you know credit to to just what a good team that you guys had. It's my goodness, you know, Drew Newhart was a senior. You were a senior. So many playmakers on offense, and you guys had a really good defense. And and uh, you know that's you know such a that that was a really really good team. I know you know 2012 goes down you know because they're the team that came up to Maryville and and won and and won the MIAA title, but that 20. 10 team was another was another really really good team um that you guys had i know that season was you know statistically you know was your you know your greatest season personally but it was there was something about halftime i you know and that that fake punt kind of spurred that there was you know jerry's uh, run in kind of with the with the band director <laughs> on the field that that really kind of woke up the crowd um you know and and um you know, and it, it, anyway, there's just so many things about that game, and this to me, I mean, it, it's it's the close games, right? Yes, the forty-two nothing game was great, but I mean, this is the game I remember that season, and and I know it, it, you know, it's not a fond memory for you, you know, your last ever college game, but you know, you, you guys, you know, it was like we, it was like we, it was like Northwest played a different team in that game. Well, and I think by that time we were, we had gotten confident because we were able to to beat some decent teams leading up to them. And, I mean, we also knew what to expect. I think that was something that also helped us in our preparation. But it was just one of those things that it felt like you could absolutely feel it. You mentioned Jerry's run-in, Coach Partridge's run-in with the band director. That was something from, I mean, a movie. It was, it, it almost felt pretend when it was happening. I just remember my, my boys looking at me like, 
is he is he serious me is he really yelling at this dude and the band director is just red-faced and and so was coach p and coach p wasn't backing down from a band director and you just sitting here going man I, and i remember telling drew i was like we need to like warm up we need to get focused this is ridiculous and they had to be separated it was insane and then from that moment on not saying that that led to anything that happened between the lines because it didn't but it just felt like like you said the crowd woke up and that was large in part to just some of the big plays that was made but yeah that was that was a crazy deal that was a situation that i'll definitely not forget yeah it's just wild and it's moments like this i think especially you know when 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 we're talking coach partridge coach churchma you know i mean it's it's moments like this i think that make this rivalry so epic i think and, and it's a different kind of rivalry talked about that a lot right where it's a where it's more of a I don't, maybe big brother little brother kind of a thing where it's there, there's more um you know where we just l- like to not like each other right as, as missouri western you just want to hate northwest and if northwest you just want to hate missouri western and and uh it, it, it's just a different it's just a different kind of rivalry i guess well, in terms of, of MIAA, this region, you know, collegiate football, like, you know, it's 100% different. You know, it's just one of those things that because of the proximity of the school, you, you basically have this same media outlet who covers you. So any, I mean, in quote unquote, like news you're in, you're sharing it with them. You know, so you, you, as soon as your little episode's over with, you have Northwest. So Northwest is sitting there, you know, looking great, doing everything, you know, and you know what it is. But it, to me, it does add so much, so much to the game just because of the familiarity of the schools. And you have so many people from St. Joe that go up there, or, you know, it's just to me, there's just so much. Um, I mean, in goodness, I mean, how much people from my West go up there to kick it. Like, it's just, it's just something that you're just constantly intertwined with. I just remember being in school, going up there, you know, just to, just to go up there. Um, and I'm, trust me, I wasn't the only one. Most of the time I was telling dudes to stay back. Uh, but it's, there's a reason why people, you know, go there because, you know, it's a fun town. It's a fun place. Well, I'm inter- I'm glad you mentioned the media outlet. I mean, is that's surely something that you know would would maybe get under your skin, right? You're you're in St. Joe. You're probably seeing just as many you know Bearcat T-shirts and other things as as you are Griffin ones. You talk about you know media too. I mean, if you're you know in the news press or kick you too, maybe there's a bigger feature about about Northwest than there is Missouri Western or all those things. You know, was that something that motivated you guys? I don't think as far as the, like, general consensus on the team, it did. Me, personally, it did. Like, it it absolutely added the fire to to me, personally, just because I was from where I was from. I read this same newspaper. But, you know, a lot of the guys, other than, you know, Drew, um, they were from places that to give a crap less about Maryville or Northwest, you know what I mean? So it was one of those things that I feel like 
I feel like for for some of us, like we understood from a very early time on campus that Northwest was just a different animal because a lot of people on our team were also recruited by Northwest and just ended up at Western for whatever reason. Um, so yeah, I, I feel like me personally, the media outlet with KQ2 and growing up and from Gower where I'm from, that definitely led to my, I guess, you know, want to desire to, you know, beat Northwest uh, for sure. Well, then it's it's interesting too because you know I think that's something that that you know I think Coach Barchers would probably agree as as terms of you know in terms of his legacy. I mean, what he was able to accomplish at Western is pretty incredible. You know, and and the run and things and the success he had. But then you got the team up north winning national titles that maybe um, you know maybe. Did you feel that as the team, you know, that maybe some of the success that you had was kind of downplayed a little bit because, you know, the team up north is is winning national championships? Looking back on it now, you you would find it very easily to say that. I just remember in the present time thinking if we could, you know, play in the league with them, it didn't matter who we played. So... I remember feeling that, you know, they had this, you know, Patriot feel to them where they just found ways to win. Even whenever they'd have games where they didn't look like they were going to, they were, they were winners. And I just remember you definitely felt that from, from our coaching staff during the Northwest, you know, game week, you felt the desire to, be as perfect and close to as you can be in all phases of the game. I mean, it was constantly preached to you, even if you're a player like me who, I mean, I didn't play special teams. I was a receiver, period, which is rare. Most receivers play special teams. That wasn't me. I, I did not do that. So I just remember how many times in team meetings the coaches just drilling the dudes that were in punt return or punt team, not even in their individual meetings. We're in team meeting and they're going over individual assignments on special teams. And I remember as a kid thinking, you know, this is ridiculous. Let's go home. But just looking back, that was the amount of preparation the coaching staff wanted to get in. And not that that wasn't every week, but it was just heightened during the Northwest week for sure. All right. Well, hey, man, I, I appreciate you coming on with me. I do. You're you're a good dude. I'm I'm uh, proud to call you my friend. And even even during this week, and uh, <laughs> and uh, I know talking about yourself isn't something that you like to do. But uh, thanks for coming on here with me, man, and, and making time and and coming on the podcast. Yeah, I just wanted to say thank you for having me, and I hope that everybody that listens appreciates what you're doing because I think it's. It's rare, and you've got a special talent for it, my friend. Thank you. That's that's really too kind. That's Andrew Mead, Missouri Western alum, and one of the greatest wide receivers that's ever played there, and a good friend of mine. I appreciate uh, his friendship and appreciate him uh, coming on the podcast here, and I appreciate everybody. Coach T, my good buddy Chris Ward, uh, Bob Orff, 
Coach Partridge. It's been fun kind of reliving some of these memories. There's still plenty more to come, though. We'll go into the press box with John Coffey. He'll be joining me. We'll, of course, talk some of the rivalry as well, and we'll also be talking about the UCO win from last week previewing this week's Missouri Western game. We'll hear uh, from the other sideline, Tommy Rezach, who's the relatively new voice of the Griffins, just a few weeks into that gig. And so uh, appreciate him. will be uh, interesting to hear kind of from the Griffin point of view on that as far as this year's game goes. We'll talk some MIAA football with MIAA columnist D2Football.com, Devin Albertson. Eli and my predictions on the Bearcats according to Eli and wrap things up with last week's trivia answer and this week's new trivia question on Bearcat trivia. So I'll take a quick break and I'll be right back with John Coffey. <laughs> Welcome back here on Bleeding Green, Beers, Burgers, and Bearcat Football. I'm your host, Matt Daniel, and a little marching band playing the offspring. Gotta love that. <laughs> it's time now to talk about this week's game. We're going to go into the press box with the voice of the Bearcats on the Bearcat Radio Network, John Coffey, who joins me every week. And John, just what a comprehensive victory for the Cats. Complete victory, um, probably the most complete performance of the season, and what a job by the defense. Oh, it really was. Uh, they did a good job just getting pressure on the uh, quarterback, Calhoun. Uh, he was uh, uh, not sacked an over bunch of times, but uh, enough times. But uh, I think every time he dropped back to pass, uh, there was someone in his face all afternoon long. And that uh, just wears on you as the day goes along. They shut down the running game and made things tough for the receivers. Uh, again, uh, you look at uh, what they were able to do um, defensively. Khalil Smith got his first interception as a Bearcat. Uh, just everything that seemed to really come together on Saturday in front of a great crowd. 
yeah, what a great what a great atmosphere that was as well. And and you know the I think I, Matt said it on at the end. We were in late in the second quarter, maybe before we had scored. So wow, you know it's zero zero, and it just seemed like um, you know Northwest and we were we were just dominating that game. But you know had a couple of missed field goals, the the interception in the end zone uh, by my Coency, but. Other than that, I mean, good grief, you know, we didn't punt till what the, you know, last minute of the game when all the, you know, all the backups and, and third stringers and things were in. And so, um, and, and I think that's been the encouraging thing about this offense, even if you go back to, to Hayes, right, where, yes, we only scored uh, 15 points, but um, we've consistently moved the ball and had very few, I, I don't know, you know, I don't have the stats in front of me, but very few, probably less than two or three, three and outs all season. That That bodes, I think, pretty well for flipping field position and putting our defense in good positions and that sort of thing. Yeah, it really does. And uh, talking to Jackson Barnes earlier this week, uh, he credited the offense with just time of possession where the defense was able to be rested really throughout the game and fresh while the offense would mount those long sustained drives. Uh, again, unfortunately, in the first half, it didn't really turn into points until late. But uh, what it did, it kept the defense fresh all afternoon long, and they were able to just line up and hammer central Oklahoma. Well, yeah, and the thing that I've really seen the last two weeks is I think it was that first drive against Central, um, you know, so Mike Coency's first drive as a, as a starting quarterback. You know, there was a third and five, I think he converted, and then third and ten. There were a few of that. You know, there were some third and longs against UCO that was, um, you know, that really I think gives, you know, gives us – as fans, a lot more confidence that that you know, okay, you know, we're not in those situations very often because of Al McKellar, because of Devontae Green, the running game. But but boy, when we are, we seem you know third down conversions are really good, and even if if we've got to throw the ball, um, you know, we seem to be able to convert those as well, which is big. Yeah, it really is. I think it's just all a product of having such a balanced attack right now. You talked about McKellar and Green in the backfield and that one-two punch they have there. They've got a set of receivers, I think, that also have some special skill sets that really complement each other. And it really makes it for a lot of headaches defense if coordinators have to try to prepare against the Bearcats. Well, the, the interesting thing was uh, Alec Tatum last week, it was at the media lunch, and I think was talking about specifically mentioning, you know, UCO, you know, playing man-to-man defense and how he was excited about that, thought they could do some things. Well, my goodness, what he had 11 catches over 200 yards, a couple of touchdowns. What a What a ball game he had. Oh, he really did have. And, of course, that one, uh, everybody's still talking about that Hail Mary at the end of the uh, first half, where at 5'9", he definitely was the shortest one in the middle of all that, trying to come up with the ball in the end zone on that one. And somehow he was able to uh, do that. And I think that was really the momentum turner for the game. Once uh, they got up with that big touchdown, Northwest just never let up. They were able to come out in the third quarter and had the ball first to start the third quarter after deferring in the first half and uh, really – went to town after that, but uh, that was such a fun catch that Alec had, and just really, uh, he did a, a great job on a couple other long receptions, and then, of course, he's a guy that if just get the ball near him, he's going to hold on to it, and a good possession type of receiver as well. Yeah, he is. I mean, he's like the perfect kind of slot, you know, possession receiver, runs great routes, has amazing hands, and yeah, he just does uh, does a great job. It was nice to see him have a big a big breakout game like that, and and really, you know, things we, we seem to be humming kind of at the right point of the season, right? You know, the the although yes, it was a comprehensive victory 
over uh, over Central. You know, Coach Wright had said he wasn't co- totally happy happy with the defensive performance and that they gave up a lot of yards, big plays, although not necessarily points. Boy, then you turn that into the best you know defensive performance <laughs> of the season by far, and I think it may stand up as one of the best defensive form- performances of the season. But it seems like the team is peaking or at least starting to peak. You know, st- still getting better at a perfect time in the season. Well, I, I think there's probably still a lot of things that the coaching staff will point at to say they can improve on. So, and again, a long way to go left in this year. But the nice thing is each game you're seeing a, a level of improvement. So hopefully that will continue this week where they can continue to go on. You, you know, obviously you want to be playing as good a football as possible at the end of the season to uh, with any bit of like move into the playoffs. So uh, I don't. I think right now you're seeing incremental steps of improvement each week, and I think that's right where the coaching staff would like to see this team right now. Yeah, absolutely. And coming into a team, my goodness, it's explosive offensively. Of course, our big rival, naturally, Missouri Western, big game, Spratt Stadium under the lights Saturday night. And although, you know, they're 2-2, two and two, I'm sure they're disappointed. They're probably really looking at that UCO loss week one, thinking, my goodness, we could be 3-1. and one, and, and now another loss pretty much takes you out of the playoffs. But but they've definitely shown the ability. Vespo at quarterback, he, he was one of my questions. I, I wanted to see what he had kind of in, going into the season. He's performed really well. The whole offense has lots of young playmakers all over the place. Um, veterans on defense, although they've definitely given up some points. But um, I, I think this game's maybe going to be closer than a lot of people think it will be uh, i think so you look at uh, i mean i think you touched on this uh, especially offensively how many uh, young players they have at key position positions and uh, you just know that each game that they're going to be able to advance a little bit more as they learn more about the miwa and uh, what it takes there but uh, uh scoring points really hasn't been that much of a problem for them up to this point the biggest problem is uh, they just kind of bury themselves early so uh, and they found a way to come back in those, which uh, shows uh, the resilience that they have. And I, I think uh, they're going to be a, uh, they're a team really trending in the right direction uh, just overall. Yeah, and I think talent-wise, I think they're right there at the top of the MIAA when you talk about the teams kind of behind Northwest. You know, I think talent-wise, Western's got that part of it. It's just, you know, they're very young and kind of putting it all together. It ought to be an interesting uh, – it'd be interesting to see kind of how this game, you know, goes if, if they're able to put up a good fight against Northwest and, uh, you know, and how they continue to develop during the season. Yeah, and, you know, they've scored enough to really be 4-0 when you look at it uh, just defensively if they can uh, – It'd be a little more consistent on the defensive side than I think a lot of teams are going to have worry about them coming in. Well, they probably are already, but uh, uh, they're going to be a tough team to beat once the defense gets uh, to going to, the, I think, the potential that a lot of people think they have. Well, let's talk about this rivalry, John, a little bit, and, and and let's talk about some of the favorite memories. I mean, I go back to, you know, think to, you know, at least happy memories <laughs> for the Bearcats, right, to 2010 where he had a couple of great victories. Of course, the, the 42 nothing at home, which I, th- I think still might be the record crowd at, at Bearcat Stadium. Seems like almost 11,000 or something like that that day. And then, uh, of course, the, the playoff game, down 17 nothing at halftime, and, and just all of the – um, kind of pageantry and, and and everything else about that game. There's so many things about it. It's so much fun to talk about um, that, you know, that's probably my favorite. What are some favorite memories of yours of, of playing the Griffins over the years? Oh, gosh, uh, I think I go back to uh, as a student, uh, had an opportunity to broadcast the first game of this rivalry. I believe that was back in 1981 when uh, Northwest was uh, in uh, uh, and uh, Missouri Western were not in the same conference. Uh, I think Missouri Western at the time may have been an NAIA school of uh, an old uh, CSIC conference that had some pretty good teams that have since really moved into the MIAA once they moved up to uh, Division II instead of NAIA. And just uh, 
Uh, you look around that first meeting in particular, at that particular time, I think there was a, a lot of uh, tension between the two schools just uh, outside of the playing arena, as far as that goes, with uh, fighting for dollars in Jefferson City. And I think there was a push by maybe some Missouri Western administration at that time to even try to close Northwest. So I think you put all that on onto what was turned into be a very uh, – big matchup football wise there and uh, first of uh, what's well, turned into a, a yearly series uh, throughout and uh, now conference rivals uh, I think it's been interesting and I think uh, the, the attentions between the schools in many other ways has lessened a little, little bit of degree where it's more of a fun type of rivalry now and uh, uh, most of the people behind the scenes uh, really I think respect each other and, and even the coaching staffs respect each other and uh, for the most part, enjoy this rivalry. So it's kind of morphed through the years to more of a traditional type of college rivalry. Yeah, and it, it's still, I think, from a fan's perspective, a, a little bit different than, say, you know, and, and if, go back to the very first uh, episode of this podcast where I had Chris Ward on. I think he was the one to point it out, and I, I've said it many times, you know, where the, where the you know, the rivalry with like a Pitt State, right, is is different because it's more respect-based, where Missouri Western is just a team, you know, from a fan's perspective especially, that you just love to hate. It, it's just different. It's, it's you know, kind of that big brother, little brother, and, and uh, which is a weird, it's weird <laughs> because of, you know, a lot of us as, as fans of other local teams, that's the little brother, where if you're a Northwest fan, you know, you're kind of the big brother, but it's, it's just different, and yeah, I think that's maybe the thing that kind of makes it so much fun. Well, I, I think so. And uh, I think from a player's standpoint, it, it's a big rivalry. But uh, when you look at Northwest, uh, you get everybody's best shot week after week to where the, the rivalries that Northwest has, you know, like in Central Missouri, that goes back to the early days of the MIAA. If it stayed with, of course, uh, the rivals were trying to fight for the top of the conference all the, the many years. Uh, one time we had Truman State as a big rival with the old Hickory Sticks. So there's a, a number of rivalries that Northwest has to worry about every week. It's almost a rival week uh, for one reason or another. Uh, this one, I think, is probably a more of a rivalry between the fans than it is the players, as you mentioned. So uh, it's uh, really a, an interesting uh, type kind of a dynamic going into this. Well, and they finally, you know, built us that nice away side at uh, at Spratt Stadium. You know, we always <laughs> we always like to joke about that that we, you know, they need to thank us for getting for getting that done. But I would imagine, you know, we're going to see a lot of green there. It ought to be a great atmosphere and and a good game. Hopefully, Bearcat win. Yeah, I think so. And it always brings out, I think, more of a crowd for on the Missouri Western side as well. And I think it's the, probably the bigger one of the bigger attendance games that they get every year with uh, their own fan base. So for whatever reason, this game draws out the fans on both sides. Yep. And then, well, that's when it's more fun to me, you know, when you got a really packed house and, and, you know, there's more buy-in from, from, uh, you know, from both sides and, uh, you know, it ought to be a good time. Well, John, I'll, I'll let you go, man. I appreciate you as always. And we'll, uh, we'll do it again next week. All right. Sounds good. That's John Coffey, voice of the Bearcats on the Bearcat Radio Network and the public media app. And Saturday's game will be the 452nd game, consecutive football game for John. Uh, that's that's pretty amazing. Well, let's go and get the view from the other sideline now, a relatively new voice of the Griffins, Tommy Rezach, who's also the sports director, is 680 KFEQ now joining me. Tommy, thanks so much for coming on Bleeding Green with me this week. Yeah, thank you, Matt. Uh, looking forward to what this weekend has to offer. 
Yeah, and it's kind of a new new thing for you. I mean, you've been in St. Joe for a little while now, but but the recent voice uh, um the Griffins, and it's the first time that that you'll experience this rivalry in person. And uh, you know, I'm are, are you excited excited about it? I am. Yeah, this will be just my third uh, game total as uh, the new voice of the Griffins, and it's been yeah, it's been a pretty amazing ride so far. And Western's kind of made it that way with the types of games they've played uh, coming back against. Emporia and then 500 almost 580 yards against Washburn uh, last week so been a memorable two weeks already and now this is kind of the the big one kind of as we get toward the the middle of the season uh, I think it's um obviously the toughest opponent on the schedule and it's the biggest uh, it's the closest rival and uh, it's probably the biggest rival too so uh yeah really looking forward to it I mean I know the heritage and the history with this rivalry runs deep so looking forward to just learning a little bit more about it uh you know Obviously, the you know Colin McDonough and uh, John Roushpole do a great job with the game notes for getting us prepared for broadcast. But uh, look forward to hearing from you know folks like you, uh, alums, former players, just uh, former coaches, even people who have been a part of this rivalry for much longer than I have. Because yeah, this will be my first time, and uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Should be a lot of fun. A night game at Spratt, uh, going to be a good time. So I think it'll be a good game. Yeah, and ought to be, you know, we always, uh, Northwest is always well represented at those Sprat games. We'll have the, the wayside uh, packed in, uh, decked out in green for sure. Um, let's let's talk a little bit about this Missouri Western team because, of course, week one, kind of a shocker down Central Oklahoma, slow start, and then they come back in the second half. It wasn't quite enough to, to lose that game, um, you know, and that's the one kind of, boy, you really think, what if, you know, Griffins are setting three at one otherwise. A good win at home the next week against Hayes where they had to come back in the second half same deal against Emporia kind of a slow start they come back and win that thriller um and then last week it was kind of the opposite they didn't have a slow start and then Washburn it seemed had what like a a, a 20 point outburst between the end of the third and early fourth quarter to kind of put them uh you know get them uh, you know in the in the driver's seat and win that game but my goodness you know you, you just all all of these games these first four games they've all been really close games and and I don't think the Griffins are far away they seem to be right there and the thing I see is man they they regardless of that two and two record they I think they certainly have a lot of talent yeah I mean the both the losses by a combined 10 points and yeah they they led in three of those four games and uh yeah, they had the ball down four with over a minute left against Central Oklahoma there. But uh, unfortunately, they got behind by 17 at halftime and just kind of ran out of time a little bit. So, but yeah, you're right. I, I particularly, on the, like the offense, I think, has a lot of young talent and the defense has a lot of veteran experience. It's been just a matter, or I guess a struggle here these first four games to trying to put it all together, get everybody on the same page for full for four full quarters. You know, you start with UCO, pretty bad first half. I think that's probably the worst half of the season. Matt Williamson will tell you that. Second half, they pitch a shutout defensively. Offense starts doing some good things. Still kind of inconsistent, but they put points on the board, got themselves back in the game, had a chance to win. But still, a game that should have been won, in my opinion. I think in Coach Williamson's mind, too. Uh, Hayes, I think, is, uh, yeah, that's an interesting one where they didn't play too bad the first half, down 17-10, to 10, but then they explode for 28 in the third quarter. Uh, to uh, not put it away, but put themselves in a good spot, and then they fend off a late rally from Hayes and and win. And that was, I think, a, a good win, a good uh, first win of the year, good team in Hayes. And then uh, Emporia, yeah, the, the following week on Saturday there, and uh, yeah, pretty pretty bad first half defensively. Emporia State was moving the ball at will. Westerns down 28-7. What do the Griffins do? 31 points in the second half and fend off the last uh, gasp there by, by Emporia. Uh, Hornets had a couple chances to win. Griffins held strong. 
got the win over another really good team. Yeah, Emporia was 2-0 and at that time. And then last week, yeah, probably their best first half offensively. They're tied at 20. The Washburn game was the first time that they hadn't trailed at halftime uh, all season. So you felt like maybe they were taking some steps. But unfortunately, the, the problem was uh, defensively. Uh, they couldn't get off the field. Washburn just kept hitting them over the top. I think there were a couple of mismatches. Uh, Washburn has a receiver who's also a basketball player for them, Jace Williams. He's 6'5". Western didn't have a great matchup for that. He was kind of hard to cover, and they had a bunch of other talented receivers too. So, And they have a really good quarterback in uh, Mitch Shurig, who's like in his third or fourth year starting. So, yeah, uh, it, but Western, to their credit, offensively, I mean, it was a record day, literally. Uh, Anthony Vespo passed for a school record 448 yards, uh, four touchdowns. I mean, this offense, I mean, it's been it's been incredible. It's young, only one senior on their two deep, but they're really finding themselves. I think this offense has gotten better week in and week out, and they just had their season best game in terms of numbers and points on the board. But unfortunately, the defense just couldn't get off the field. Washburn scored touchdowns in seven of their nine possessions. So, yeah, I think there's a lot of head scratching there with uh, the defensive performance against Washburn because it feels like maybe the defense took a step back. But, man, this offense, I, I think – this offense can give, in my opinion, any team in the MIAA a run for their money, and the numbers have shown that so far. Well, and as I was looking into the season, I think my big question mark for the Griffins was was Anthony Vespo, honestly, and how is he going to perform? Is 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 he the answer at quarterback? And my goodness, what he threw for four forty three, four touchdowns last week. I mean, holy smokes! And he's looked really, really good. I think he's been the surprise to me of that. You no, know, they're going to be talented, and and maybe you're right. You know, the defense has definitely given up some points, so there's there's that. I mean, that's kind of the opposite of maybe what I thought. You know, was kind of expecting this Griffin team to look like. You think about Griffin team of the past especially coach Williamson think okay you know they're going to have a really good defense and and we'll see where the offense is at and and it's almost been the opposite seemingly yeah I mean that's that's what's so funny like so I went with uh Dave to that UCO game I was the color analyst that day and it was my first time covering Griffin football at all and it was kind of a tough debut because there was no 2020 season. You're, you know, looking back at 2019, you're trying to get up to speed on, okay, who transferred out, who opted to stay, who opted to leave, you know, all these guys who have like all these extra years of eligibility. So it was kind of a guessing game. I, I got that impression at MIAA football media day too. You know, they made these preseason polls. I was sent a ballot. I didn't vote because a, I've only been here nine months. I haven't seen MIAA football before this year. And secondly, I was like, even if I were to vote, how do you how do you do this? Like, because, you know, there was no 2020 season. You just everyone had it was kind of a poker face a little bit. You just didn't really know what you were going to get. So with Western, when you looked at them on paper, it's like, OK, seven starters returning on defense. You got an all MIAA performer in in uh, Evan Shohan at, at, at linebacker and all American in corner Sam Webb. So you thought maybe that would be a good place to start. That's where most of their experience is. And there's still some good players on that defense. Don't get me wrong. The defense has had some really great moments uh, this year. They scored two defensive touchdowns against Fort A. State, pitched that shutout in the second half against Central Oklahoma, and, uh, yeah, obviously held Emporia when it mattered most in that game. So, uh, But, yeah, I don't think anyone quite knew what this offense could be. I think we knew they had the potential to grow and get better. They're also, you know, they're trying to get a few players back and running back uh, Jared Scott, tight end Cam Grandy, who I think they're close but, uh, yeah, a lot of youngsters uh, really making their – having a lot of first-career scores uh, this year. Most of the wide receivers that you see on uh, Western starting lineup, most of them have had their first-career touchdowns, first-career catches uh, all in these last few games. Same thing with running back. Uh, Sheen Butler-Lawson Jr., Brandon Hall, all getting uh, bigger uh, moments this year. But, yeah, Vespo was uh, – he's one that he had some opportunities there in 2019, got to play a few games, did some good things. 
Um, but really, yeah, that Washburn game, it was his seventh college football game. And he looked like a seasoned veteran. You know, he went right toe-to-toe with a multi-year starter in Mitch Shurig. Had passed for more yards than Mitch Shurig. So, yeah, I think these last two games especially, that UCO game, it was pretty stop-and-go. We saw the backup Reagan Jones play for, I think, like three series uh, in that game. But, no, Vespo's really taken uh, command of the board here. He's really uh, been really just confident. I give his offensive line a lot of credit. That's a really young unit that's protecting him. Uh, but he's really looked the part these last couple of weeks, really looking uh, confident. Not the most mobile quarterback in the world, but uh, quick release, good decisions, doesn't really force balls where they shouldn't go. And, yeah, he has really taken a step these last couple of weeks. Well, yeah, you talk about all these young guys, Lawson, you know, Butler, Lawson Jr., Brandon Hall, Travion James had himself a ball game last week. Um, and then that's not even to talk about Cooper Burton, who catches a couple yeah. of touchdowns. He throws one. He's a local Benton kid, and he has looked spectacular. And, and yeah, that's the, the thing that I noticed. The thing that really stands out to me is, holy smokes, these guys are all young. They're only going to get yeah. better, better. You know, that bodes well for the future. Yeah, that, that's true. I mean, all these guys are listed as freshmen. Most of them are in like their second year in the program, some in their third. Just kind of depends on who redshirted in the COVID year and everything like that. But yeah, most of those guys are freshmen by eligibility. Cooper Burton, of course, was a guy that got to play quite a bit there in 2019. But uh, yeah, Coop has kind of become uh, a leader on this team. Uh, he's a pretty quiet guy and still can kind of can be by nature. He, I got the chance to interview him uh, about two weeks ago. and uh, But on the field at practice, uh, he and Coach have both said that, you know, he's kind of taken on this this uh, vocal leadership role because he's kind of been shown out in the field. And, and uh, whenever he's feeling confident and he's feeling good, uh, Cooper told me that he kind of just wants to, to share that and let the others around him uh, feel that. And he wants to try and give them a boost in any way he can. And if he's doing that, it seems to be working. Uh, yeah, Cooper is kind of the most experienced uh, receiver there. And yeah, the former Benton quarterback throwing a 36-yard touchdown to Hezekiah Trotter uh, against Washburn last week on a kind of a flea flicker-looking play. It was a kind of a neat deal to uh, to see that. And he's been involved in the running game a little bit. Cooper has too. So yeah, he, it's kind of good to have him in there. I think he's one of the more veteran guys on that offense, and he's he's showing it uh, on the stat sheet, and he's also kind of trying to show it in the locker room too, trying to step up and be a leader. So as you look at this game, I mean, obviously, I think, you know, Northwest is the favorite. They're expected to win. It's a rivalry. I expect it to be a close game. If you're looking at the game, kind of keys to the game for Western, if Western's going to pull off this upset, what do you think they, they really need to do? I think cleaning up special teams has got to be number one. I mean, special teams was kind of an atrocity uh, against Washburn, and I think that's what the word Coach Williamson used, either that or disaster, but you get the idea. Uh, Western had 10 penalties against Washburn, and by my count, seven of them were on special teams. Most of them in the return game, you know, Trey Bobble might have had a decent return, get called back for a hold. At one point, they were off sides on a kickoff. Um, just little stuff like that. There was a They got called on a horse collar tackle when Washburn had a kick return. I mean, it was just... It was bad. Um, unfortunately, like Western didn't have to punt very much because they were scoring so much. So didn't really get to see much of that. But uh, Washburn really covered Trey Bobble well in the kick return game. There were a couple of times Trey would take it out of the end zone, get tackled at the 10, something like that. So special teams has got to get better. Um, you know, you hear it all the time. Special teams is kind of a reflection of your team at large. If you can play well in special teams, you're going to give yourself a much better chance. And they really have to play better than they did against Washburn in that regard. Um, offensively, I would say kind of just lean on what's been working. Uh, Western's been a team that's tried to establish the run uh, in games, and sometimes it's worked. I don't see it working against this Northwest front seven. I mean, the, those guys have been 
just absolutely phenomenal. I think UCO had minus 28 rushing yards this past week against them. So I don't think running the football effectively is going to be an option for Western. They tried against Washburn, and the Ichabods shut them down. So, yeah, I think you just have to let Vespo do his thing. I think this offensive line has to keep doing what they're doing, and I think you got to let give Vespo time and let those receivers kind of go about their business. You let that passing game just do its thing. It's been effective against multiple teams, and uh, while this is the best defense that Western will have faced so far this year, I think if you give Vespo time, make him comfortable, uh, get him some throws, get him some big opportunities early, this Western offense can put points off the board and give themselves a chance. And then on the other side of it, defense, uh, you just got to find a way to, to get off the field. I feel like third down defense was a struggle uh, against Washburn. Uh, Western gave up a Washburn touchdown. They had him at a fourth and one at the Griffin 13. Washburn scored on that play. I don't know how many turnovers the, that they're going to create. It looks like Mike Cohen's he's been very efficient in that regard. And then Northwest is not a team that puts the ball on the deck very much. So I don't know if you're going to get much turnovers, but you just got to find a way to, to make stops, to make plays when you have opportunities. I felt like Western had some opportunities on defense to get off the field, just couldn't do it. So that's going to be the big thing. I think Mike Owens, he's going to have his moments. The Bearcats are very physical. They're going to try and run the football. Um, yeah. The Bearcats are going to put some points on the board for sure. But if, if Western can just stop a few drives, stall a few drives, find a way to make plays on third down and try to get them off the field, just, you know, Washburn scored seven out of nine times. You're not going to win a lot of games when your opponent is having that high a success rate in scoring. So just find a way to slow them down any way you can on defense and let the offense operate. I mean, if the if Western plays to that strength and just plays a little better defense and cleans up the fundamental errors on special teams, they're going to give themselves a chance I don't see them winning this game. I think Northwest is the favorite. I think a lot of people know that, but I think it's going to be closer than maybe what a lot of people are thinking. I think this could come down to the wire. Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I think it's going to be a a, a pretty close game, probably probably throughout for sure. And yeah, you can't you can't uh, you know even if you get a lead on Western, you know they've shown the ability to come back. So you can't even right. you know can't even bank on that. So ought to be a fun game under the lights Saturday night at Spratt. Uh, Tommy, appreciate you uh, coming on and joining me here on the Bleeding Green. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Matt. Uh, pleasure to uh, to meet you. And, uh, yeah, obviously get to um, interact with lots of Western and Northwest alums here in uh, St. Joseph. And no people are, are uh, really excited about this game. So, uh, yeah, just look forward to calling it. Hope people are able to uh, tune in in some way. And, uh, yeah, I think this will be, be a fun game. I, I look forward to seeing how, uh, how it plays out. Yeah, me too, as long as it's a Bearcat win. <laughs> That's Tommy Rezach, the voice of the Griffins and sports director on 680 KFQ in St. Joseph. Appreciate his time and and what an opportunity for him. Relatively young guy and, man, I love that voice. He's a really excitable guy. I got to listen to some highlights and things of the last couple of games. I think he does a pretty good job there. And, uh, yeah, so it ought to be a big game, big matchup. And uh, let's take another quick timeout going to come back we'll have my chat with uh, northwest defensive lineman zach howard and they'll wrap that interview up with a pick six still got a chat with miaa columnist from d2football.com devin albertson uh, and of course the bearcats according to eli uh, coming up as well so all that's still to come here on bleeding green i don't want them to gain another yard you blitz all night and if they cross the line of scrimmage i'm gonna take every last one of you out you make sure they remember forever the night they played the Titans. And joining me now for this week's player interview is number 94, defensive lineman and captain. He's a junior, Zach Howard. Zach, hey man, thanks for uh, making time and coming on Bleeding Green with me. Oh yeah, anytime. Thank you for obviously having me. 
Yeah, no, man, it's a good good opportunity to get to know you, and and let's kind of talk about you know growing up. Now you w- went to Bolivar, which it's interesting to me because there's kind of some similarities between Bolivar and Maryville. They're kind of about the same size. They both, uh, you know, college towns. Bolivar has the Purple Bearcats. We've got the Green Bearcats. Of course, they used to be in the MIAA. So I, I guess coming to Maryville probably wasn't a big culture shock for you. Oh, no, no doubt. That's actually part of the reason I, I decided to come to Maryville. Um, other factors as well, but um, taking visits here and just realizing it's about 10,000 people, same as Bolivar, got about the same same amount of kids on campus uh, as the uh, the SBU down in Bolivar. So, um, and just great people, uh, which is what, what I've, you know, growing up around a lot of farmers, a lot of, you know, small business owners and just, just genuine people, so. Yeah, definitely not a culture shock, um, and a, you know one of the reasons I came here. Yeah, well, I'm sure you know you talk to some of your some of your teammates, you know, that come from, you know, an, an Omaha or St. Louis or even bigger places. I'm sure that's uh, you know it's <laughs> you how many because how many uh, how many kids were in your class at Bolivar, your graduating class? Um, I think I graduated with like 208 or something along those lines. Yeah, to some people that's a really small, <laughs> that's yeah. a really small class. Even St. Joe, so yeah, that's kind of oh, interesting. Yeah. So what, uh, as you were growing up, what sports did you play? Was it always football? I know you played. You were an all district baseball player in, in high school. Was it was it those two? Did you play other sports? Yeah, so I I grew up playing you know football and baseball mainly. Um, when I was really young, I played like soccer. I was enrolled in like gymnastics. So I kind of my parents just kind of put me in everything, allowing me to kind of feel out what I wanted. I played basketball um, all the way up, and then uh, freshman year was my last year of basketball, and then I played. And then I wrestled for a year and did all right at that, but realized pretty quickly you kind of got to wrestle when you're a kid to be good when you're in high school. And so, uh, and then I did, I just kind of, so in high school, my junior, senior year, all I did was football and baseball, but kind of done a little bit of everything. Love playing pickup basketball, still here with, with the football players, so. Well, and was it was football always the first love, or, or was it difficult picking between football and bas- or football and baseball for you? Um, no, I think football definitely took the took the cake. I love baseball. That's probably the the main thing I miss about um, high school was was baseball or maybe even choir and stuff like that. But but just football was the you know kind of the love. My grandpa coached football, so I'd go home after school and. He coached either middle school or high school football all of my childhood. So just depending on what he was doing, I'd go after, um, hang out with him. And, and if it was at the middle school, I'd go. And he'd always just allow me to be around the, the middle schoolers. To I'd always set up tackling dummies and during their practice. And basically, if I wasn't in the way, I could do whatever I wanted. So it was always fun. Um, just always around football, I guess, and enjoyed it, enjoyed the conversations. My uncle's a football coach now, so. Um, he was kind of going through it, um, uh, becoming a coach as well. So, yeah, just always been around, always loved it, and kind of, kind of grew into a passion of mine. Well, and as you were thinking about the next level, you know, before you decided on Northwest, what uh, what was the cr- recruiting process like for you? Did you have a lot of teams kind of vying for your services? I had, I had a couple. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't anything crazy. Um, I didn't have no, you know, twenty D one offers or anything like that. I had. Um, a lot of the bigger schools actually wanted me for offensive line. So Navy had talked to me earlier um, for, for like, uh, center. They wanted me to play center. K-State wanted me to play center for them. Um, uh, so I had some, like, SCS schools. SEMO talked to me about playing center for them. But I just kind of 
I wanted to play D-line, and that was where most of my, like, D2, the schools that talked to me for D2 were offering me for, for D-line. And so, um, obviously, it's pretty easy to, to pick Northwest when, when um, out of all the D2 schools, um, like I said, plus with um, Bolivar and Maryville being very similar sizes. Uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I just, I, just, I went on a couple visits here and there, and Northwest felt like home. I was always told, like, you'll know when you know. So I just came here on a game day. Um, I had been extended an offer, but I had never ever actually seen like a money amount. Um, and I came here on a game day and I told coach I would be here next fall. And that's just kind of how I just kind of trusted in it. Um, loved it. Loved the, loved the culture. Coach Wright does a great job recruiting. His pitch is always, um, you want to be elite, you come here. If you don't, go somewhere else. So I was like, all right, well, uh, going here. No, um, there was a lot of other other things that went into it but yeah just i had a couple there's probably like six or seven schools that were truly interested and probably close to 15 schools that had talked to me so well and i mean if if you're gonna have somebody coach you d-line you know that the uh you know rich Wright's a, a pretty good choice that's a pretty good track record with with d-linemen at northwest <laughs> yes sir very, very much so well and you even got to play as a true freshman was that something you were planning on doing or did that that just kind of happened didn't it yeah, um, you know, I'm always just confident in, in, in what I can do, but it's also just confidence and that if it's meant to be, if, if it's God's plan, then it's going to happen. If not, then I would have redshirted, and that's all right, too. So Coach Wright had kind of, you know, extended it as a, you know, no one really plays first year. They always want, you know, redshirt, and, and then we kind of move on from there. So I came into it just expecting a redshirt, um, and then a couple of days into practice, just kind of started to, you know, move up the depth chart. Um, he told me that I was going to uh, travel, but not dress or anything, not pull a red shirt um, at one point. And then a couple of days after that, he said, you know what, we're going to pull a red shirt if you want. If you don't, we don't have to. I was like, oh, I'd love to. I'd love to play if I, if I can help the team out if you think I can. So that kind of happened. But, you know, just I think just understanding that um, wherever I am, uh in my position, in my spot, just understanding that God's kind of got a plan for it. And if it takes longer or shorter, then it's just what it is. So very blessed to be in the position I am. Well, and you're, you're one of six captains on the team. Only two of you are juniors, you and, and uh, Braden, the quarterback. So what's that, what's being a captain mean to you? Oh, it means, it means a lot. That's for sure. Uh, so captains are voted on by the team and just understanding, uh, you know, what my teammates think of me, um, whether that is the, the, the role I have on the team, uh, just, it, it just means a lot to, to work out with these guys. There's a lot of guys that work hard. There's a lot of guys that can lead. Um, and that doesn't just stop at the six captains. We got a lot of leaders that aren't, um, and just, just looking up to those guys and, and seeing that they, they think highly of me is very, very, uh, very cool. So definitely an honor. Um, I was actually kind of shocked when I got it. I was like, oh, well, I was not expecting that, but very much appreciated. And, but yeah, there's a lot of guys, like I said, the other five captains are very, very good leaders, very, very good players. And there's a lot of other leaders. Um, Brody Buck comes to mind. Elijah Green comes to mind. There's some, there's just guys on the, on the team that aren't captains um, that truly are really good leaders. Sam Phillips and the list goes on, but yep. So, and you were uh, awarded academic All-American before the season started. It's been 
is your academics always been something that's been really important to you? Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I'm not like the smartest, smartest kid in the world. Uh, my brother, he had an extremely high ACT score. I don't know exactly what it was. It was, it was above a 30 though. And, and it was, he was just kind of the smart kid of the family. He read all the time. And, uh, so I wasn't, I'm not the smartest guy or anything, but my, my mom is a teacher. My grandpa, he coaches and teaches and had just kind of grew up in, in a family of teachers. And I understood the importance of school and of learning, um, but also just the importance of like, they were just being respectful in class. I was kind of a goofy kid um, as far as like, not a troublemaker, but just always kind of honorary and trying to, trying to learn the importance of being, you know, being myself, but at the same time, uh, understanding you got to be respectful in classes. So I just try to take that, um, do my best for the teachers. I, I got to see, like I said, the the sacrifices a lot of teachers make in time and money um, for their students. So sometimes you don't see that as a student. It was me being a, a child and a grandchild of, of those people. I was like, oh, these people do a lot for us. <laughs> so just just seeing that I always wanted to try to do do my best at least pay attention in class and like I said I'm not very smart I'm you know I'm just average old old smart level you know average intelligence so it is what it is I just try to do my best and apply myself um but yeah well what what what's your area of study and then what kind of are your uh, I know you're just a junior but plans uh, for for graduation or after graduation I should say yeah, uh, physical education is my study, um, so just I'll, I'll graduate with that. I kind of want to coach football, um, but, you know, I don't care where or what level. I just kind of want to be involved with, with kids' lives and, um, you know, just give back to the same profession that kind of I saw as a very, very, very uh, ser servant profession. Um, so just – Seeing, like I said, seeing my mom, my grandpa, my uncle, um, in a in a classroom setting and how much they gave, I just kind of want to get back to that. The teaching community, I love it, um, and I don't know. I, th I feel like that's kind of God's plan. If it changes for me, then I'll be willing to pick up and leave. But uh, as of right now, that's kind of just where it's headed. Um, coach some, coach some football, teach some kids. I also enjoy. Um, uh, kids with disabilities, individuals with disabilities. So working even in like a physical education setting with that would, would be a, a dream of mine. So yeah, just whatever, wherever God leads me and God takes me, but that, that is my uh, major physical education. Awesome. All right. Well, now we, we always end all these interviews, Zach, with, with the pick six. So just kind of six fun questions that I just uh, throw out at you and then you just kind of tell me the first thing that, uh, that comes to your mind and hopefully they're not, uh, they're not too difficult. So, um, right. <laughs> but the first one is first question is do you have any, uh, superstitions or like game day rituals or anything that you do before games? <laughs> I don't know about superstitions. Definitely like, you know, staying in a routine. I don't know. Just like, I like to go out on the field at some point and just kind of run around, play catch with either Elijah or, or Sam or one of the D linemen, Noah Williams. It's just because it's kind of like playing a kid, you know, just being a kid playing on a football field. I remember uh, just going out on Friday nights before high school football games, playing around and just kind of reminding myself why I play football. It's it's not the end of the world. Um, it's to, to have fun. That was the original reason to play. So just kind of remind myself to have fun that night. Um, that's about it. Other than that, uh, I write some things on my on my wrist tape 
some verses um, just to remember uh, what's truly important. Um, I got a couple initials of people in my life that are very, very tough individuals. Uh, Tim Grunsfelder, he's a cousin of mine. He passed away um, from cancer and he was just, he never complained. Uh, he was a very tough dude. He's in a wheelchair most of his life. And one of those guys that just kind of look up to. Um, another one's one of my best friends from back home. His name's Deegan Banner. He's just a very, very tough individual um, mentally. But it's just those two guys are, are very tough and, and um, kind of I think about them a lot. So I put them on, and then the verses are to, to remind me of what's truly important. Excellent. All right. Do you have a favorite place on campus? Favorite place on campus? Um, uh, our locker, our new locker is pretty sweet. <laughs> uh, so that's probably number one. Maybe not. I, either that or the library. I love the library. Uh, just going to it, getting to sit on a couch, drink, drink a cup of joe. It's about the two places I love on campus. That's cool. Yeah, man, that new locker room is amazing. I was up for the scrimmage. I didn't get to go in and check it out, but yeah, I just saw the pictures and stuff. I was like, holy smokes, that is oh, yeah. pretty impressive. Oh, yeah. What's the third question here, the pick six? What's the last TV show that you binge watched? Last TV show? Uh, Friends. Friends is the last TV show. I've, it's I had it on Netflix a long time ago, and then they took it off, and then we had HBO Max. So HBO Max has it now. I love Friends. It's like I don't watch a ton of TV right now. It's kind of busy lifestyle with football and all, but I you know put it on uh, right before I go to bed. So that's kind of my my like easy to easy to watch show. I love Friends. All right, Maryville has a lot more uh, eating options than they did in my days <laughs> at Northwest. <laughs> but is there is there a particular restaurant that Maryville doesn't have that you wish they did? Oh, particular restaurant that they don't have. Uh, the only thing, food-wise, I got some pizza. We go to St. Joe for Chipotle sometimes, so Chipotle would be nice. Or ever since Carson's left, um, we haven't. I haven't eaten a ton of wings, so uh, I heard Titletown has good wings. So any, either like a B-dubs or a Chipotle for fast food, probably probably those two. All right, and then what? Uh, so when I had Jackson Barnes on, I asked him who the funniest person in the locker room was. He said you. <laughs> no. In your opinion, who's who's the funniest guy in the locker room? Oh man, I don't know. That's so many people. Uh, Elijah Green is hilarious. His impersonations, probably the best I've ever heard. Uh, a lot, yeah. The, anyone on the D line, we're the funniest position group by far. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, D line, O line are probably funniest. Yeah, I think Drake Kinsella's funny. He's a D lineman. Um, Elijah. I don't know the D line. You put them together. I think I just I just enjoy it. We're just a bunch of brothers that just laugh at each other and laugh with each other all the time. So. No, that's great. I like to hear that. All right, last question. So again, I know you're just a junior, but when you're you know, to think of head a little bit when your playing days at Northwest are done, what do you want people to remember about you and your career? Um, you know, outside of football, just, just that I was a child of God that I try to, you know, witness to as many people as I could. Um, and truly just, I don't know, just try to live out Matthew four nineteen. So, um, but inside of football, I don't know, just probably, you know, a really tough dude who played through a lot. Um, who grinded for his teammates, just kind of, you know, uh, 
one of the, what's best for the team and not what's best for me. Sometimes it's easy to, you know, say, well, I want this or I want that. Um, but stats aren't everything. So, uh, yeah, so probably just on the field, um, a humble dude that works really hard and, and plays for his teammates. Awesome. All right. He's number 94, Zach Howard, a junior captain, defensive lineman. Zach, hey, man, thanks for coming on and joining me here on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Welcome back here on Bleeding Green, Bears, Burgers, and Bearcat Football. I'm your host, Matt Daniel. we still got a ways to go. If you've stuck around here two and a half plus hours into it, you deserve a cookie or something. So so grab another Monster or Red Bull or Bang or Five Hour Energy, whatever your uh, whatever your choice is. we still got a little ways to go. Still got the Bearcats, according to Eli, coming up. We'll have Bearcat trivia here at the end. But right now, it's time to go around the MIAA. Talk about last week's results and kind of preview this weekend's slate of games. MIAA columnist for D2Football.com, Devin Albertson, joins me, as he always does. Devin, thanks again for coming on this week. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good time. So, some interesting games last week. Let's let's start with with uh, Missouri Western at Washburn. I know that uh, you know that was that was kind of a you know big game, and, and Western didn't start slow for once. Um, they, Washburn had a stretch there, I think late third, early fourth, where they scored like 20 unanswered points to kind of turn that, you know, kind of swing that game a little bit, but man, well, that was a, that was a heck of a ball game out in Topeka. Oh yeah, for sure. I wrote my column last week. I thought it'd be like 41, 38 and I kind of load ball with a 47, 41 final and, uh, both teams putting up big numbers on offense kind of deal. I think it was both teams put up over 500 yards of offense, 584 for Western and, uh, 532 for, for Washburn and uh, back and forth game. I was hoping I could go to that game, but other things kind of popped up for me last week. But yeah, it was a fantastic football game. Vespo looked really good for Missouri Western. Uh, Shurig did his thing for Washburn and uh, kind of back and forth. And Washburn was able to get the win there. I just had a little 20 to nothing run there in the second half to kind of take advantage going down from down, I think it was 34 27 to being up 47 34. Um, really kind of turned the tide there a little bit. But it was a fantastic football game. A lot of points. If you like the offense, you like that game. You like the old low-scoring games and stuff. You probably didn't enjoy it as much, but it was a really good football game. Well, yeah, you talk about Anthony Vespo for Western, and he's somebody I looked at, you know, even going into the season, I thought, you know, if, if Western's going to, you know, reach the heights that they want to reach, he's going to have to perform well. He threw like 443 and four touchdowns. I mean, he did throw a couple of picks, but I mean, holy smokes, I didn't see, I didn't see a performance like that coming from him. Yeah, the big thing with him, he has a lot of good receivers. I mean, Cooper Burton is a really good receiver there out of St. Joseph. I believe he went to Benton. He's a very good player. He only had four for 60 and two touchdowns. Uh, James, their leading receiver, had 188 and a touchdown off 11 receptions. So they got some explosive guys there in their uh, receiver core. So they're a very dangerous team to get the ball in the open. They can really break some long stuff with that. So he has some good options to throw to. So that really helps him out. Actually, he did throw a couple of picks, which are kind of the maybe the difference in that ball game. Is Shurig on the other side uh, threw for 388, 388 himself, but five touchdowns but no interceptions. Took care of the ball a little better than Vespo did. That was kind of the difference in the game a little bit there. The turnover bat, battle uh, definitely favored Washburn, um, but Missouri Western they're going to be explosive. They're a dangerous team because they're never really out of it with that offense that can score in bunches. 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, and kind of the shocker, I guess, isn't the fact that that Carney won at at Central, but it was a close game. What a touchdown uh, by T.J. Davis with 22 seconds left, and they win 38 or 31 28. But they were down a big portion of that game. I remember, you know, they talked about it on the on the broadcast as I was listening to the Northwest game, and and boy, I thought, man, if Central beats them, what a what a upside down, you know, turning things upside down that would have been. Oh, yeah, for sure. UCM had the lead for three and a half quarters in that game. Uh, Carney scored their midway through the fourth quarter, their first lead of the game, 24-21. And then Central Missouri with um, Tway House at quarterback really kind of turned things around on offense. And he was able to lead a touchdown drive with only a minute and a half left or so. Uh, so just a couple minutes left to kind of take a lead there. And you're kind of thinking, Carney, like they're down a score here with about two minutes left. How are they going to be able to – adjust here maybe about three minutes on the clock they were able to go right down the field 10 plays 70 yards in about two and a half minutes and take that lead oh tj davis uh, punching it in and that's a score they really needed to have i know two years ago when they played ucm um ucm won on kind of a weird score at the end so it was good for carney to kind of get a win there washburn's not an easy place to play on northwest did a good job there last week uh, but you knew eventually central missouri would have some fighting in them and they just kind of showed it this week so as much as this kind of would be a little concerning for Carney. It's good for them to see them win games like this as well to kind of show they can win when they're not playing their A game. They can still beat teams because UCM is still a talented team that is really underperformed this year. So I like what I saw out of Carney to be resilient in that situation and be able to come back and uh, get that win they really needed there. Because if they lost that game, the MIAA might be looking like a one bid league for the playoffs, and you want to see two teams get in. So Carney had to get that win. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, and Central is able to do some good things on defense. I think they held T.J. Davis under 50 yards rushing, although he did run for a couple of touchdowns. Um, yeah, I just did from from the way that they performed at home against Northwest. I uh, yeah, I didn't see that. I didn't see that performance coming from Central. But maybe that was kind of a turning point for them, even though they didn't win. When maybe they can kind of turn things around and have some better performances, because you know, uh, oh and oh and four start is definitely rough for them. Yeah, and, and Wilkerson played a lot better for them. He had 84 yards rushing and threw for a touchdown. A little trick play they had. They kind of brought out some trick plays there versus Carney to kind of try to sway the tide their way. So they finally did some things offensively running the football. They took some pressure off the quarterback. And Logan Twayhouse played much better than what they've had um, previously by Kyle Bradley at this point. So I think they really kind of helped their offense as well. They actually were able to move the ball a little bit on offense and kind of gave them some momentum going to the, going to the future. Well, and then going to a game where one team didn't move the ball at all. That was in Maryville last week for Family Day. Northwest shutting out UCO 38-0. It was it was kind of a frustrating first half for Bearcat fans because of, uh, you know, we just... And, and this has been the thing all season. Even in that game against Hayes, we didn't go three and out really at all, I don't think. And uh, they may have on the last drive. I know Northwest didn't punt till the last drive of the game. But... Mm. Um, but you know, they just were able to move the ball, a couple of missed field goals, interception in the end zone. But but it felt like that game was in control. And then the Hail Mary at the end to make it 14 nothing at halftime. And then, you know, it, but but what a, you know, Hoensee was great. The team was uh, was balanced. That was great. But the defense for Northwest has put, it, put their most complete performance together, I think, last week. Oh, yeah, the Bearcat defense was fantastic against UC. I know they had Keats Calhoun there at quarterback. Uh, more of a traditional pocket passer, and Northwest kind of teed off on him um, in the backfield, bringing a lot of blitzes and stuff like that, and the front forward's getting there as well. So the Northwest defense just all together was fantastic in that football game. They were really popping the pads out there. It was really fun to watch um, 
the rewatch of that game was really fun for Northwest defense. And for Northwest on offense, you said they were moving the football. I think Matt Trenton, the color guy from Northwest, there on the MLA network and Bearcat Rio network, was kind of talking. It was still 0-0 late in that second quarter. He's like, Northwest has dominated this game like it's 30 to nothing. Though it's 0-0, Northwest is a kind of complete control. And that's kind of a game that you want Northwest to kind of seize earlier because those games can kind of be like, hey, we're in complete control, but a turnover here or there can really turn the tide, and all of a sudden you're losing on a game you've controlled. And they were able to get a couple scores there late in the first half. That Hail Mary was just kind of a fun play. Um, trying to get going a little bit. In the second half, they came out. The defense uh, continued to play really well, and the offense was able to get a couple scores there. I know late in the game when they ran the had the deep touchdown pass, um, they were kind of ran the fake option and play action off it, and the safety bit up, and they had a wide open receiver downfield. I love plays like that. I think it's the offense kind of going a little bit when you put defenders in weird positions. So I like the creativity of the offense kind of showing. And just them. 38 points. It wasn't. They probably could have put up 50. They would play better in the first quarter. Uh, but it was a really good game for the team. A really complete effort there. Um, offense, defense, special teams played well as well. So good job of the Bearcats. Get a big win and kind of keep things rolling going into this week. Yeah, absolutely. And then down in down in Pittsburgh, uh, Pitt State winning uh, 30-28 over Emporia. Although Emporia scored late to maybe make the game seem a little bit closer than it was. Uh, Braden Gleason still had a great, great game. He threw for almost 350 yards, a couple of touchdowns. Of course, Max Sexton did his thing with uh, 300 yards and a couple of touchdowns. But but you know, and, and that's interesting to see kind of how that you know Emporia. We've talked about them, and you know they talked about it early in the season about hey maybe we're a three to seven win team, and and you maybe a three three or four win team we're a good team maybe you know they're at least competitive with everybody but Pitt State continues to I'm interested to see kind of how they develop because after this week you know and that's who Northwest will have in Maryville next week so so uh, but a good good win for them a win I think you would expect Pitt State to have and that they a game they probably should win at home yeah absolutely and as you said there earlier in that um recap of the game Pitt State was up by nine with under like two, three minutes to go in that game. No, Emporia scored late and had the onside kick attempt to possibly win the game. But Pitt State, they did what they needed to do in that game to get a win. And that's all you need to do versus kind of a state rival there in Emporia State. So good win for Pitt State. They needed that to kind of keep pace. That loss to Carney earlier in the year could really put them behind the eight ball. They still got Washburn and Northwest coming up. So they needed to win a game like this. And I think the top four in the conference are kind of separating themselves a little bit with Northwest, Carney, Pitt, and Washburn. So it was a good win there for Pitt to kind of stay in that upper echelon and not have a slip-up like you saw, like week one with Missouri Western losing the UCO. That put them behind the eight ball. If they won that game, they'd be 3-1 and one right now, right in the thick of things for the playoffs. So Pitt State avoided that um, big loss, as did Carney this week. And sometimes it's just about surviving in the conference. It's all about styles, make fights. Uh, in Portland State, it's just a difficult team to play because they do throw the ball so well uh, with Gleason. So they're going to be a tough team to play this year, and Pitt State was able to get a win there on family day. Um, good for them. Yeah, and then Hayes, of course, bounced back, and, and they win at Southern 42-21. That was another game that probably the scores not really indicative of how the game went. It was 35-7 at halftime, and then Hayes just kind of cruised. But, of course, it's it's tough for me to kind of get a gauge on them because, you know, after those you know two uh, loss to Northwest, not completely unexpected week one, and then, the, you know, they lose against Western, and then, you know, what they've had Lincoln and Southern, and they've done what they've supposed to do you know, against them and to, to even things up at two and two to maybe try to, you know, make a run and do something similar to what they did back in 2019 when they started 0 and 2. But I'm having a hard time, you know, kind of figuring out this Hayes team, I guess. Yeah, they're kind of weird. They didn't throw the ball as well as I thought they would with Fuller coming back this year. They actually ran the ball really well versus Southern with um, Adrian Soto 
with 198 yards and a couple of touchdowns on only 17 carries, almost 12 yards a pop for him. Uh, good to see him get that running game going, and maybe they do that versus better opponents. You know, take some pressure off of Fuller to put the whole offense on his back kind of deal, though. So we'll see if that kind of translates to the better teams. And they kind of do what they need to do versus Southern. Southern's not very good. They did beat UCO last week, so they're a team that you kind of look like maybe they're a little better than we kind of thought. You still got to play decent to beat them kind of deal. So good win there for uh, Hayes to kind of get back on the winning ways a little bit. And they have a little bit of a lull in their schedule um, after this week they play Carney. So maybe they they have an upset opportunity this week as well playing at home versus Carney. Well, and, and talk about, you know, all the close games and, and, you know, the big matchups, one that probably nobody paid attention to, and I don't know, maybe nobody cared that much about or cares that much about, was the Northeastern State at Lincoln. And I expected, I think we all kind of expected Northeastern State, they looked better than Lincoln to win. It was 49-48, though, and my goodness, it was it, that one might have been... <laughs> might have been the game of the week just what did you know two teams that that don't have really a whole lot of chances maybe to to win other many other games than playing each other and they definitely went for it oh yeah for sure i mean this is the end of the third quarter going into the fourth 34 seconds left lincoln scores to tie it up at 28 and then not 14 seconds later lincoln scores again on a 38 yard touchdown run that's been a turnover there on the kickoff and franklin has back-to-back touchdown runs lincoln takes the lead and then 14 seconds later, 84-yard touchdown by Northeastern to kind of set up going to fourth quarter, tied at 35. They trade touchdowns in the fourth quarter. Um, Northeastern State goes for the um, – and then they have a field goal at the end of the game to try to win it. It gets blocked, and that's when I kind of tuned into the game because I was busy at the time, so I had kind of forgotten about this game kind of going on. I'm like, okay, it's Northeastern Lincoln. We'll, I'll just look at this game afterwards. I might rewatch it a little bit to see what happened a little bit. And then I saw there was a blocked field goal going to overtime – so I pulled up my iPad real quick. I'm like, hey, I'm going to watch the overtime because it's kind of interesting to see uh, these two teams kind of go at it. It was a fun overtime, and uh, Northeastern was able to uh, get that win in overtime. So it was a lot of fun there to see uh, them get that win. And I know Lincoln missed an extra point there, and it kind of gave Northeastern the, the window they needed to win that game in overtime in the first one. But it was a fantastic football game that was – both of those teams kind of needed a game like that to get your kids kind of re-energized, like, hey, we can play with some teams kind of deal, deal there. So it was a fun game in that regard. So good for those programs to get a fun game like that out of the way. Well, and just looking at the box scores, Zamar Brake, the, the quarterback for Lincoln, who who maybe hadn't thrown for 450 yards all season. I, I don't know. I didn't look up the season stats, but threw for 454 and four touchdowns. He ran for 80 or he ran for 51 on the ground. And uh, like, holy smokes, Jose Franklin, you talked about him. You know, we talked about him going in the season as maybe the only thing Lincoln had. He hadn't. I don't even know if he'd ran for 50 yards in any game yet this season, had 115 and in, in his three touchdowns, but, um, and Northeastern had a couple of guys run for a hundred yards. I think I was, I was reading that was the first time since 2011 that that had happened. So, um, yeah, I don't know that we'll see either team score, score that many points, um, the rest of the way, but, but it was, uh, definitely a, definitely a fun one for sure. Yeah, and all those numbers put up in that game. The offensive player of the week this year, we went to allocate him for Northwest. He went for 205 receiving with 11 catches for two touchdowns. Uh, so another – there's a lot of good offensive performances this past week in the MIAA. Defense, maybe they'll bounce back this week. I don't think so. A lot of high scoring again this week, which makes me fun because I really enjoy seeing some offense. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's talk about some of these week four games, um, you know, kind of a rivalry week, some big rivalry matchups. Let's, of course, start in, in St. Joe Northwest at Western and, uh, you know, big matchup. Of course, Western now, you know, with their two losses on the season. Um, I don't know, you know, that they definitely have the talent offensively. And I, I think they're a pretty 
pretty talented team. They they just haven't been consistent enough, and they not having a slow start I think was big for them last week. But if they if they have any kind of lull, I think the Bearcats are going to be ready to uh, to jump all over that. Yeah, and if you're Northwest this week, you guys limit the big plays because Western they feed off big plays and turnovers, and that's kind of what has fueled their couple of wins and the close game there against Washburn was them to get turnovers and to pair that with some big offensive plays that really put them back in the game. So if you're Northwest, you got to be aggressive on defense, try to force them to mistakes because they will make mistakes. But you also can't get uh, burnt by a deep pass um, here or there. So that D-line for Northwest has to get pressure on Vespo and let that back seven kind of fly around the ball a little bit and try to create some havoc in the back end. Um, and then on offense, Northwest, just keep doing what you're kind of doing. The offense is working at this point. They just got to keep rolling with it and trust each other a little bit. The offensive line's played much better this year than it did a couple of years ago. Owensy looks pretty good there at quarterback as well. Of course, you got um, Al McKellar, who looks like an absolute stud there at running back with Green, giving him some relief as well. He's looked hard, run, looked good running the ball hard there for Northwest. So I like what they're doing so far. I think they're going to be just fine in this game. I think Western does keep it close because of their style of play. But I do think Northwest is able to get a win here. Uh, that defense is just too good for Northwest. Yeah, I think it's a game that's probably a one-score game that maybe Northwest scores late, makes it a two-score game, and kind of kind of ices things late. But I think, yeah, I think it'll be a, a good game. Hopefully it'll be a good, uh, good crowd. We know the Bearcat fans will show up in St. Joe, <laughs> so we'll oh, see yeah. about Griffin fans. <laughs> Crazy crowd there. I mean, it's going to be half-green kind of deal. Um, so it should be fantastic in St. Joe. I'm going to try to go to the game. Um, should be a lot of fun there. I think it's a 6 o'clock kickoff. It's going to be under yeah, the lights. night. Mm-hmm. Lot of fun. I love those. Yeah, I love those. Um, and then you got Washburn at Emporia, another kind of rivalry game. And and I think you know, especially being at Emporia, I think we'd expect Washburn to probably win that game. But too too good. You know, we've we've got another matchup of great quarterbacks that can really chuck the ball around. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, Emporia State each week's going to be in the situation where they can throw the ball a little bit. But the team they've played the last couple of weeks can also chuck it around a little bit. So they played Western and Pitt State last couple of weeks. Now Washburn, who's just every bit as good as those two teams. This is the turnpike tussle, so it should be a lot of fun to see those teams. Even when one of the teams is kind of down, this game is always a lot of fun. But I do believe Washburn's a better team at this point. They're a little more, I think, seasoned at this point of the year. I'm already playing Carney and Western kind of deal. I think has got them ready to go versus a team like Emporia. So give me Washburn in this one, but it should be a really fun football game um, out in Emporia. Yeah, absolutely. Well, then another big rivalry game, just kind of like the 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 Northwest Mo West, where you've got Big Brother, Little Brother, I guess, is a is a pretty probably pretty good way to put it. Pitt State at, at Southern, and I think you know we are all expecting Pitt State to win that, but that's a you know a, a definitely a big rivalry for those two schools. Yeah, for sure. I think Pitt State has really dominated. Whenever Pitt State loses Missouri Southern, when things kind of go awry there in Pittsburgh a little bit, so it's kind of a gauge where. Pitt State, weird things have happened in this rivalry in the past where Southern has come up and beat them, but I don't see that happening this year. I think Pitt State uh, should roll in this one, though. Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you there. Then uh, some other games, Lincoln at, at UCO. I I don't expect to see Lincoln score as many points. I think it's a good opportunity for UCO to bounce back after a disappointing performance for them, yeah. especially offensively in Maryville. Yeah, they've lost back-to-back games and haven't done much offense versus Southern or Northwest kind of deal. So they need to get back on the um, horse there on offense. What better way to get back on the track than play Lincoln kind of deal? <laughs> right. Yeah, you're exactly right there. Um, then Central's going to be at Northeastern State. I don't know. I, I think 
Central showed some promise last week. I would expect them to win this game, but it might be closer maybe than some people think. Northeastern State is, you know, they're 2-2, two and two, Central's 0-4. Looking at that, I mean, that kind of makes you scratch your head a little bit, but I think I, I would expect a Central to get their first win of the season here. Yeah, I think UCM's just glad that um, the month of September will be over by the time the game starts for them. They'll be able to get maybe back in the winning ways in October and have a much better October um, than a really scary September for them kind of deal. So I think UCM does get back on their winning ways here. And I think Tway House gives them a little better option. Their quarterback is a little more mobile and kind of gives them a little more explosive offense. And then uh, I saved this this one for last because I want to talk a little bit about this game, the Carney at Hayes. And Hayes, is, you know, to me is an interesting team because I – I don't know. I, I still think they're a good team. Um, are they as good as Carney? I don't know. You know, Carney last week, I, I look at this game two different ways. I guess Carney could look at it as a reality check, right? And maybe Central really, really is improving. That could be. But maybe it was kind of a, oh, you know, kind of a hiccup. Hey, but we won at least. And so yep. then they focus, get this game done in Hayes. But I don't know. I think maybe, I think there's a decent chance that Hayes can, can pull an upset in this one. Oh, yeah, for sure. But I think Carney may have been overlooking UCM a bit after seeing them start 0-3, struggle versus three teams, uh, two teams that they had already beaten this year, and kind of, okay, we're going to be fine this one. Um, and you got Fort Hayes coming the year, week before. So I know the coaches won't do it, and the players say they won't, but just, oh, and you always kind of look ahead in the schedule a little bit. Okay, we got a big game next week versus Fort Hayes and everything. So I think they'd be a little more refocused this week with a big – this is their closest uh, game in conference, kind of their rivalry there with Fort Hayes a little bit. Um, and Fort Hayes has got the better of them in the past kind of deal. So I think Carney should get a win here. T.J. Davis is the best player on the field again. Yeah, I think Carney is going to get another win here and kind of ramp up the last half of their schedule. They got Western next week, but after that, it kind of lightens up before they play Northwest uh, there in late October. So they can kind of ramp up that Northwest game a little bit for them um, and keep getting wins in your belt to kind of build your playoff resume. And this one you have to win at Fort Hayes another game for your resume for the playoffs. Yeah, well, and it's, you know, like you said, it's building to that big matchup, uh, homecoming matchup in Maryville here next month. That'll, yeah, that has the potential to be, you know, as, as maybe the biggest game for Carney probably since they've come to the MIAA anyway. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, this is a huge game here for Carney. Um, and just their schedule to start the year has not been easy. Already playing Pitt and Washburn and now at Hayes, a game that was at Pitt as well. So they've had a tough schedule here early on. Um, I said earlier, they got Western next week. At least it's at home there for Carney. So they've had a tough schedule here to open the year. And I think it's really battle testing them and kind of letting them prove to themselves and anyone else in the conference of how good they really are this year. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, Devin, I guess that's uh, we'll see what happens this week. And, and uh, we'll hopefully we'll have another great week. I, I think we will. And we'll have plenty of stuff to talk about uh, when I have you back on next week. Yep, absolutely. Thanks, man. That's Devin Albertson. You can, of course, check out his column over at D2Football.com and his power rankings for the MIAA and the preview for this week's slate of games and uh, score predictions, all that good stuff. Speaking of score predictions, it's time for the Bearcats, according to Eli, where my soon-to-be 10-year-old son Eli's birthday, by the way, is next week. And, yeah, yeah, he's ready to he's ready to talk about that and, and getting excited for it. Eli, you ready to, uh, you ready to pick this week's slate of games? Yeah. All right. Well, first, let's look at what we did last week. We were both five and one. You and I, we predicted each game correctly, except for the Missouri Western at Washburn. Washburn beat Western. We both picked Western. But hey, five and one, that, that's pretty good. How do you feel about your picks from last week? I feel really good. All right. What do you think about this week? You feeling another another good one? Yeah, I think I'm going to get them all right this time. 
Okay, all right. So I'll get them brought up here on the screen. We'll go over game by game. We, of course, got to start with the Bearcats. Northwest playing at Missouri Western. Big rivalry week. Um, what, what, are you thinking, uh, what are you thinking on this one, Eli? Uh, duh, obviously Bearcats. All right, well, give me a score. Bearcats will get, like, let's say 40. And Missouri Western will get, like, 32. All right, yeah, pretty close game. These games usually are close rivalry rivalry games. I'll go 35-20 with a Bearcat win. All right, next we're going to go Washburn and Emporia State, the Ichabods at the Hornets. What do you, uh, who are you picking, and what's what is the score you got for that one? The Hornets, and the score will be Hornets will get like twenty-eight, and Washburn will get twenty-one. All right. Well, I agree with you that Emporia is going to score twenty-eight points, but I say Washburn scores thirty. So there's our first, there's our first difference. Um, of the week. All right, and then we got Pittsburgh State, the Gorillas, taking on the Lions and Missouri Southern. By the way, it is rivalry week, so not only are we playing Western, but everybody, uh, most of the teams anyway, are playing uh, playing their big rivals, Washburn, Emporia, Pitt State, Southern. That's a big big rivalry. Who who you think's uh, going to win that one? Pittsburgh. All right, what do you got for a score? Okay, since these games are usually really close, it's going to be like. And they're going to probably try really hard. So it's going to be like 40 to like 48. All right, 48 to 40. Okay, I think Pitt State wins 42-21, which would be the second straight week that Missouri Southern would lose uh, 42-21. But uh, we'll, we'll, see, uh, we'll see how that one goes. All right, we've got Lincoln, who almost beat Northeastern State last week. Maybe their best shot at a win. At UCO, taking on the Broncos, who Northwest shut out last week. Um, who you got, Eli? Well, the Broncos did okay last time, and Lincoln's... I, I'm going to go with the Broncos. All right, UCO, what's a, the what's a score? Uh, Like 28 to 13. That's pretty close to what I got. I, I've got UCO winning thirty-one fourteen. So that's uh, so we're thinking along the right the same lines there. All right, big game. Nebraska Kearney going to Fort Hayes. The Lopers are undefeated. The Tigers, after starting out zero two, have won their last two games. Maybe the probably the game of the week if if Northwest Missouri Western isn't. So what do you think about that one? Nebraska. The Nebraska Kearney's going to win. All right. What about a score? 38 to 32. All right. I think this is going to be the closest game of the week in my, uh, um, in my, now I picked Washburn having a two point win over Emporia. I say 31 30 Hayes. I know that's, I may look like an absolute idiot next week and it's, it's in print in the forum by the way. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, I have a feeling maybe Hayes is, is going to pull off the upset. Although I could definitely see Carney, winning since they got kind of the scare from from central last week all right eli last game is uh, ucm taking on northeastern state the mules and the river hawks who you got in that one probably the river hawks they've been doing good oh that would, that would definitely be an upset yeah they're two and two and central's oh and four what uh, what do you think about a score uh i'm gonna go with 
was 26 to 30. All right, Northeastern State with the upset, 30 to 26 over UCM. Okay, I'm going. I'm going Mules. I think they'll get their first win of the season, but I do think it'll be fairly close. I'm going 28-17. So, uh, so there we go. Well, there, there you go, Eli. We've definitely got some differences where we all picked the, where you and I both picked the same way last week. So, it, it very good. What very will be one of us is going to have a good week, and one of us will have a not so good week. Yeah, and I'm obviously going to win because you don't have a brain. We all know that. Ouch! It's my own podcast, and my son's talking smack. All right. Well. Uh, what what else you got? What else you got, Eli? Anything else as we as we wrap this up? Uh, two things. First, happy birthday to me, and second, well, almost happy birthday to me, and second is the Bearcats are green. Don't forget. Boy, Q Rodney Dangerfield. After that, I tell you what, no respect on my own uh, my own podcast in my own house. You get a peek behind the curtain at the uh, <laughs> the Daniel House. I tell you what, that's my soon to be ten year old son, Eli. May not make it to ten. I don't know. The jury's still out on that one. As of as of recording time, I have three kids. So uh, tune in next week to see exactly what happens with that and how those predictions shake out. It's now time for Bearcat trivia. Last week's trivia question: What ranking do the Bearcats have on the AFCA poll, the, where they don't have a winning record? Well, it's number seventeen. That's your answer. When the Bearcats are ranked seventeenth in the country in the AFCA poll, they are one and one all time. Lost back in 2003 to Central Missouri, 52-24, and then won back in 2018 against Emporia, 41-0. We've never been ranked 22, 23, or 24 in the poll, but every other ranking we've held, and all of them except 17th in the country, we have a winning record. Hmm. Kind of interesting. This week's trivia question directly relates to this past week's game, which honestly we haven't talked a ton about. Um, just a little bit, the 38-0 win at Bearcat Stadium on Family Day over UCO. What a, what a performance. The first half capped off by the Hail Mary to Alec Tatum, who caught it on the deflection, and he had himself a ball game. 11 catches, 205 yards, and two touchdowns, which is good for fourth all-time receiving yards in single-game history for the Bearcats. Now, those three spots ahead of him are shared by two receivers in Bearcat history. Who are they? That's a trivia question. It was on Twitter this week. It's in the game notes. Maybe not the most difficult question, but I think it's interesting. And, and we're going back for one of them. Your hint is pre-Mel Churchman era. So tune in next week to uh, get the answer to that one. Well, that's going to do it for another edition. If you want to hook up with me on social media, you can definitely do so. Throw me a follow on Twitter at FroDaddy84. You can find me on Facebook, Matt FroDaniel. And you can also email the podcast, bleedinggreen.bearcats at gmail.com. If you have an idea for a trivia question, anything like that, I'm absolutely down. So that uh, that's all sounds great. Send me a private message or something like that or, or email me. We can, we can go from there. But that's going to do it for this edition of uh, Bleeding Green, Beers, Burgers, and Bearcat Football. Thanks so much for sticking around this long. You deserve a gold star, I tell you. <laughs> I'm your host, Matt Daniel, and go Bearcats! Bearcats! <laughs>